welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Wednesday, May 31st, the last day of May. We are here live. It's time for Destination Health. It's a health day all day today. I've got Lauren here with me. And also, we've got a very special guest this morning. We're going to jump right in and get to it. Let me bring Lauren in. Lauren, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. How are you today? I'm, <laughs> I'm good. Yes. I'm I, just excited. I am too. It's been quite a while <laughs> since we've had this guest, and I'm sure we have a lot to talk about. So we're going to bring him in right now. Um, I'm going to read this because our guest has a lot going on. So... Uh, I want to welcome back Chris Kresser. He's the co-founder of the California Center for Functional Medicine, the founder of Kresser Institute, the host of the top-ranked health podcast, Revolution Health Radio, the creator of chriskresser.com, and the New York Times bestselling author of The Paleo Cure and Unconventional Medicine. He has trained over 2,000 clinicians and health coaches from 50 countries Uh, He was named one of the 100 most influential people in health and fitness. And he's been on Dr. Oz, Time, The Atlantic, NPR, Fox and Friends, and other national media outlets. He lives in a beautiful part of the country, Park City, Utah, with his wife and daughter. And right now, I want to welcome back Chris Kresser. Chris, welcome. Good morning. Good morning, Kevin. Pleasure to be here. Well, great to have you again. Hi, Chris. uh, When was the last time you were here? Gosh, I was thinking about that. It's been a few years, for I, sure. I, um, maybe just after my second book was released. I, I can't recall exactly. That sounds right. I think that was probably it. I, the world's changed a little bit, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, we've been through a lot, haven't we? Man, oh, man. Yeah, So, and we'll get to that. There's uh, aspects of that I want to talk about. Um, before we get to that, though, um, you do have a lot going on, and it's been a while, so... I have a question for you to get us started today. Of all the things you spend time on right now in, in your world today and what's going on, all the things you spend time on, what's your favorite? What's the one you just really love to spend time on and don't want to quit? Yeah, great question. Um, I would say right now it's building the supplement line that we launched last year. I, over time, you know, I've been doing this work for more than 15 years. And while I... I'm still very passionate about functional medicine. The reality is most people just don't have access to it. Um, you know, it's not part of the uh, conventional healthcare system and for better and worse, right? You know, if it was, it wouldn't yeah. be functional medicine. <laughs> but but the, the, the downside is that, you know, people are paying out of pocket often for those services. And um, most people simply can't afford to do that and, and or they don't have access to a practitioner in their local area. So um, I really wanted to find a way to make my you know, 15 plus years of clinical experience and training uh, healthcare providers from all around the world and everything that I've learned in that experience available to a broader number of people and creating really high quality evidence-based supplements was the way that I came up with doing that. And and we launched last year and the response has been tremendous. And it's so gratifying to hear from people whose lives have literally been changed in, in, in many cases, um, just by, you know, restoring adequate nutrient levels and giving themselves the right kind of nutrition um, that they're maybe not able to get through their diet. And it, it's pretty simple, but it can be really powerful <laughs> and, 
it can affect a lot more people. So that's what I'm excited about right now. Yeah, you know, I, I think simple might be relative. I, I was thinking about, you know, you sitting down and, <laughs> and taking all that experience and knowledge and real world results and starting to formulate these supplements. Um, you know, I, I love cooking. I cook all the time. I everything with food you can imagine. And this is a lot like that. You're sitting down and saying, look, I, I realize there's already, you know, 132 magnesium supplements on the shelf, but I've got a better <laughs> idea. I've got a better recipe. And, and I, I think that's incredible. And, and uh, that's a big project. So congratulations on that. Thanks. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, the supplement space is busy, as you mentioned, but the reality is most supplements out there are just not worth taking because exactly. they have inferior quality synthetic ingredients. And, and they were, you know, often started by people who are just out to make a buck. I hate to say it, but that's true oh, in the true. supplement yeah, industry. And, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, the sad part is the, the, the supplement that most people are going to run to is what they just saw advertised on national TV, which means all of the yeah. money went to advertising and none of the money went to actually creating a worthwhile product. Exactly. Yeah. Or go into GNC or Costco yeah, right. or, you know, pick up something on the shelf. And that's understand. You know, that's not. Uh, that's understandable. You know, most people are not educated in school about how to choose good products. It's not part of our, our, you know, our, our culture um, to get that kind of education. And it's someone would have to really seek that out on their own. And then as you were alluding to, there's just a lot of deceptive marketing and claims that are made in the space. And a lot of people who don't actually have real world experience working with real patients that are, they're making these products. So they don't really know what works and what moves the needle. So Good yeah, point. It's a, it's a big issue. Good sure. point. You know, that 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 I believe is such a problem that um, early on, you know, I was involved in sports, you know, when I was young. And then I my first business was a well, second was a gym. I was only 19 when I opened that. And when I opened the gym, I started bringing in supplement lines. And, you know, I really started to see that I was getting zero results from most of this stuff. They had made all kinds of promises, but if I was, you know, realistic about it, I wasn't seeing any real difference. And I, I just ended up dropping the whole idea of supplements there. I, I just couldn't sell something that I looked at and said, man, I spent an awful lot of money on this. I'm not really getting any results. And because of that, I became so anti-supplement for a long time. It really took me a while to get over that, to realize that it it really required more skill and knowledge in in choosing a supplement, knowing the ingredients, and it, it wasn't just as simple as, you know, walk in and buy something based on what it says it's supposed to do. Uh, and now I realize that, you know, good targeted supplements with the right qualities and the right ingredients is a game changer. And, That's and, right. Yeah. And, I mean, it might surprise you to, to have... Well, I was just going to say, and even myself eating really about as clean as you can in the modern world today. I Anything that I can grow myself, I grow myself. I preserve a lot. I ferment a lot. And, and yet I still have to supplement. I, I've identified several supplements that if I take every day, I get better results. And no matter how hard I try to get them yeah. out of a really high quality diet, I still fall short. 
Yeah, that's that's a really key point that you just brought up, and you know, I, I'm often asked this question. Um, I've been a huge advocate for meeting as many of our nutrient needs through food as we can, because that's how human beings <laughs> evolve right. to get nutrients, right? <laughs> right. Uh, our, our distant ancestors were not taking supplements. We're pretty sure about that. Exactly. Um, but the problem is we're not living we're not living in the same world that our ancestors were living in. Uh, we are dealing with uh, soil. A decline in soil quality. So, for example, I read a study with a statistic that has always stayed with me that we would have to eat eight oranges today to get the same level of nutrition from a single orange that our grandparents ate. That's crazy. So that's a pr- yeah. yeah that's, that's two generations cra- we're that's talking just about. Crazy. Yeah, you know? oh. And <sighs> this is this is a result of you know industrialization of agriculture, which of course has had many benefits. That's undeniable. You know, we've been able to feed more people with fertilizers and, and, and pesticides and other chemicals. But, you know, like many things that also has a, a, a dark side or a downside. And the downside is that we've disrupted the microbiome of the soil. So a lot of, of your listeners probably heard of the microbiome. Those are the, all the critters that live in our gut, bacteria, viruses, yeast, and they, they perform a lot of helpful functions for us. They're, they're not, you know, not all bacteria are bad. Um, they help us to digest and absorb food and extract nutrients from food. And it turns out that's the same thing that happens in the soil. There are natural organisms in the soil that help plants that grow in that soil to extract the nutrients. And all all kinds of different aspects of industrial agriculture, from chemicals we use to the mechanical methods of of farming that we're using, disrupt that soil microbiome, and they, and that effectively reduces the amount of nutrition that's in the food that we're eating. So we could be eating the same healthy foods our our grandparents were eating, you know, uh, vegetables, fruits, but we're getting way less nutrition from those same foods. So that's a kind of a depressing yeah, <laughs> uh, reality because I tell my, you know, my patients and many people, they're trying to do the right thing and they are eating well, but they're not getting the same benefits from those health choices. And then, of course, Kevin, we also have just the reality that 60% of calories that Americans eat today come from ultra processed and refined foods like sugar and flour and industrial seed oil. Yikes. These super high in calories, but they're almost devoid of of nutrients. You know, if you look at like white flour, it basically has almost no nutrition at all, but it's totally loaded with calories. And and then we have to deal with something called anti-nutrients in a lot of these products that actually shift the scale yeah. the opposite direction. You know, that it's a big topic here. I talk a lot about gardening. Um, in the last several years, I've really gotten into regenerative. Uh, we've had Joel Salatin on. He's a pretty regular guest. And um, mm-hmm. the book, uh, Gabe Brown's book, Dirt to Soil, is one of my favorites. I've been practicing that on my soil for a couple of years. And um, it, it really is incredible. And the parallels, you, you just talked about the parallel between bacteria, you know, in our world and our microbiome and the plants. And one of the biggest tools I use in the garden now are very specific bacteria for very specific things. Mm. And it's just incredible. Uh, you know, I, I grow a lot of brassicas early in the season right now, and everything wants to eat those things. There's all kinds of little caterpillars and worms <laughs> and slugs, and they all want to eat that. One of the interesting things that I've found is, you know, you talk about 
chemical farming and and what it's doing. We can grow these big green, you know, they look like crazy, healthy looking plants. They get really big. They produce a lot, but they are horribly weak plants. They have no defenses whatsoever because we have depleted the soil of nutrients and all this bacteria and the um, the fungi involved and the uh, mycelium and, and all of those things we've disturbed. And now there's a real parallel between what we've done to human beings. We've made them very, very weak and sick because of a lack of nutrients and bacteria. And we've done the exact same thing to the plants that feed us. So now those things are so sick, they're like the humans. We have to keep prescribing humans things to fix all the health problems because they have no nutrition. Same thing with the plants. Now they need a fungicide, they need an herbicide, they need an insecticide because they have no immune system. And it just builds on itself. We are just destroying our soil and our water with this horrible cycle of, of this constant chemical onslaught. And it's incredible how fast you can change this. Now, you know, I'm doing it on a very small scale, but in just three years have taken soil from it just won't grow much of anything to I can't believe how much I can produce in a very small space by using, you know, cover crops and bacteria and no chemicals whatsoever and composting. And, um, you know, I, I really, really hope that this movement towards regenerative um, really continues to grow. It is, and, and I think it will. Be. For all the reasons that you mentioned, we, we've realized that we, just like um, our, the soil and, and the food that we grow and, and then the animals that we raise, of course, that also eat the food that we grow, that's all part of an ecosystem. And we can't, you know, that ecosystem is, is more than the sum of its parts. It's a holistic environment, and we need uh, we need to take care of every element of that environment or the ecosystem as a whole is going to suffer. And your, your gardening example is perfect. Um, and you know from having Joel Salatin and others on the show that that's also true at a, at a broader scale. And I love your analogy to the, the human ecosystem because we are really walking ecosystems. <laughs> that's, right. that's pretty yeah. probably the best way to describe us. It's, it's, it's really the relationship between the microbiome, all of the organisms that we harbor, all of the different organs and organ systems in our body. We know that, you know, even though conventional medicine is set up in a way that every part is is separate, you know, you go to the gastroenterologist, if you have a digestive problem, you go to the uh, foot doctor, if you have a foot problem, (laughs) you go to the psychiatrist, if you have, you know, depression or a mood disorder, but those are artificial distinctions and separations. The reality is that our, everything that goes on in our body is happening in, in an interconnected uh, system and that you can't really impact one part of the system without affecting other parts of the system. And I think this is a, an awareness that most traditional systems of medicine have had for thousands of years, but it's, it's new in the Western uh, allopathic medical paradigm. And, but I, I would say that that awareness is growing and changing and we're seeing a lot more even, you know, published peer reviewed studies that take this into account and, and are really kind of embracing this lens. And it's, it's, we we really need to do that because uh, six in 10 Americans now have a a chronic disease, four in 10 have 
multiple chronic diseases. These are increased from when I last talked to you, Kevin. Unfortunately. Yeah, I know. Those statistics are continue to go in the wrong direction. We have almost 70% of Americans overweight now and over 40% obese, um, okay. which is just shocking if you think about it. Hey, hey but there's, there, there's, so this, yeah. there's something positive to look forward to. Wagovi is going to fix all that. That whole obesity thing, but <laughs> uh, just an injection yeah. once a week, you'll be fine. You'll be skinny and yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, I, it's, you know, so we have, we have negative trends and positive trends. Right? Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I think in some way, you know, that's a perfect example of the short-sightedness of our conventional medical paradigm. It's just it's, it's the assumption that there's, a drug, an injection, a pill, or a surgery that can solve all of our problems. And and that's a ridiculous assumption because when our health problems are primarily driven by diet, lifestyle, and environmental factors, you can't use a drug or a surgery to, to, to fix them. I mean, certainly they may help with some of the symptoms or the right. late stage complications of those conditions but they're not going to prevent or reverse those conditions, which is what we desperately need to happen. So going back to you know what we were, we're talking about, this is another reason why uh, adequate nutrition through diet and supplements is so critical today because we have to buffer ourselves from all of these negative influence or negative uh, impacts of the modern world. So you have you know, the decline in soil quality we talked about, you have uh, the fact that many Americans are, are just getting most calories now from processed and refined food. You have the, the increase in chronic disease, which actually has a double whammy effect on nutrient status. So on the one hand, it increases the demand for nutrients. You know, when, when the body's under stress, which a, a disease is, we need more nutrition, not less. Uh, we need more nutrients to be able to fuel, uh, you know, fighting against that condition. And then on the other hand, many chronic diseases also decrease our absorption of nutrients. So, for example, we were just talking about obesity and diabetes. It's been shown that people who are overweight or, or, or obese or who have diabetes actually absorb fewer nutrients um, from food. And they even produce less vitamin D from exposure to sunlight. That's that people with obesity often need to take five to 10,000 IU per day of vitamin D just to maintain a normal blood level, whereas someone who's lean might only need one to 2,000 IU per day. Wow. So you get kind of hit on both sides um, with this increase of chronic disease. And then we have environmental toxins, you know, heavy metals that have become ubiquitous in our environment, um, plastic chemicals like bisphenol A, uh, glyphosate. Uh, and these, these types of chemicals, what a lot of people don't realize is these chemicals bind to minerals um, and vitamins and prevent us from absorbing them. So even if we're eating food that has a given level of nutrient in it, those environmental toxins, which are also now present in many foods, interfere with our absorption of those nutrients. So the more I've learned about this over the past few years, the more... I've just started to simplify and think about, okay, how can we ensure, <clears throat> given all of these threats and challenges in the modern world, how can we just ensure that we're getting what we need to thrive? Because nutrients are the fuel for every metabolic process that happens in the body. Every enzyme reaction, every neural connection, every uh, you know, process that happens in the gut or hormone that's produced, 
um, or you know, cellular process that happens requires the presence of not just one, but multiple nutrients. So if we are low in those nutrients, what happens is we see a decline in function across every system of the body. And the tricky thing is that, you know, we're not talking about severe deficiencies that would lead to hospitalization you right. Know, right away, like, or, or, or diseases like scurvy or rickets. You know, fortunately, in the U.S., we've mostly, we've mostly escaped those problems. But in a way, it's, it's more insidious because these deficiencies take years or decades to play out. And then they manifest maybe 10 years down the line in dementia or Alzheimer's or, you know, type 2 diabetes or an autoimmune disease or any number of problems. And people are not necessarily, and when I say people, I'm including doctors, they're right. not necessarily making the connection because it wasn't just A plus B equals C in a period of days. It's something that played out over a long period of time, and it's harder to make that connection, but the connection is still there. Very good point. So, you know, there's so many themes I want to go on there and that you touched on almost every one of my notes today on stuff I wanted to talk about. Great. <laughs> um, so I just I want to do this in in an order that makes sense. Lauren, jump in here as well. Uh, any thoughts or questions right now? Well, yeah, Chris, I, I was wondering if you can touch upon that study that was recently done um, that you looked at that was basically about a group of people who were taking suboptimal um, supplements and they were even having re you know good results based on those suboptimal supplements. Yeah. Yeah, great, great question. Um, so this, this is a study published last year in September. And uh, it was looking at the impact of multivitamin use in older adults, and they wanted to see if that, uh, if taking a, a multivitamin had any impact on uh, on cognitive function, because we know that two of three uh, adults, elderly adults, people over 70 years old, which you know doesn't even really seem elderly at this point for many people, but yes. <laughs> that's still the, the definition. Um, two and three people will struggle with cognitive decline by age 70. Um, so this is a big deal. And this study last year was a three-year randomized controlled trial. So as you both know, that's the highest standard of evidence because it's an experiment. It's not just mm -hmm. looking at people, uh, you know, in their daily life and kind of drawing connections between behaviors, which is unreliable. It, it was a randomized controlled trial where they had a control group that was not taking the multivitamin and they had the group that was taking the vitamin and they, and they compared results over that three-year period. I think it's one of the longest randomized controlled trials that's ever been done. It was certainly one of the, the longest that's been done on a multivitamin. They found that people over age 65 who took a multi daily for three years slowed their age-related cognitive decline by 60%. Uh, or about two years. In other words, they saved about, they, they reduced, they enjoyed good cognitive health for an average of two years longer just wow. from taking this multivitamin. And as you pointed out, Lauren, this is not even a great multi. It was one of the ones, <laughs> I, I won't name it for, for legal reasons, but it's one of the ones you could find on a shelf at GNC or, or Costco you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of the base level of what you might need. It's got a lot of synthetic stuff in there. 
It doesn't even meet the RDA or the recommended daily allowance for a lot of nutrients. It's missing all of the phytonutrients or plant nutrients that we know are really important for health. Uh, so it was, you know, really low on my list of what I would consider to be a high quality multivitamin. And yet still people who took it had this great of a response. So this is really encouraging in a lot of ways, right? Yes, absolutely. It's fascinating. I and mean, it, it's, it just goes to show that, you know, if you want the results, you can get them. They're out there. There are ways to do this. And, you know, what a great, um, you know, what a great study that was done and, and really lends to that idea that, you know, it, it's, it's within reach, basically. You can make it. Yeah, that's, I, I always, you know, there's a lot of bad news, but I always like to share the good news. And this is what, this is exactly it where, and this is, Again, why I'm so excited about the, the supplement line, because it's not, yes, we're facing a lot of challenges, but with a few small changes, we can have a pretty big impact. And this study is just one of many examples of how that works. And, uh, you know, it's empowering, I think, for people to understand that because they could, you just mostly we just hear bad news all the time. <laughs> about yeah. all of the, the threats and the, and the problems and the challenges, or, or people are told, hey, look, you have to eat this extremely rigid, strict diet, you know, for six months before you're going to see any improvements. And that's just not true. You know, certainly we want to do as well as we can with diet. And I've been a big advocate of that my entire career. And there's a lot we can do to help move that along. It's very true. Yeah. So, you know, if let's stick to that, you know, idea of everything comes down to nutrients. And I think we all believe that here. Yeah, I kind of want to sum up where we've been in the last, I think we're coming up on about nine years now. I, I was just thinking about this the other day. And, and, you know, we work with a very specific population that if you take all of those horrible health statistics that got worse since the last time you were here and you apply it to truck drivers, it's even worse. Some statistics show that they have yeah. twice the incidence of diabetes. I, I'm not even sure that's possible anymore, but there's still that the, the, it is just a horribly unhealthy lifestyle. We go through all of the reasons, you know, very limited access to any kind of good food. And they're in a truck sometimes for weeks or months at a time and very little refrigeration, virtually no freezer space. They're in a food desert out there on the highway. Um, they've got constant vibration. They're sitting for 12 hours a day or more. Uh, they have exposure to diesel fumes and diesel fuel and all kinds of other chemicals. Uh, we could just go on and on. It's just a, their sleep um, is never normal, disrupted sleep. Uh, if they're team drivers, the sleep issue is even worse. Now they need to be sleeping while the vehicle's moving. Um, it really, it's awful. You start to look at this and you think, wow, I, no wonder why we don't see a lot of old retired truck drivers. They don't make it that long. They're, they're all yeah. dying way too early. So that, you know, I, it, we work with a, a really sick population in some ways. I think it helps us get really good results. You know, it's the low hanging fruit. Some of this is just mm -hmm. so easy. And then we've developed a lot of things, but you know, I was thinking about this the other day and the progression to me seems really, really clear. I can remember when we first started talking about health, the big thing I was trying to get people to understand was things like how destructive grains were in our diet. I think I had 
Effortless yeah. Healing by Dr. Mercola was one of the first books I read. And that was really the, my first exposure to the whole grain issue. And then I read Wheat Belly and Grain Brain. And, you know, then we went to, you know, paleo, which was helping people, but then not everybody. If they were really sick, you know, the shift to paleo fixed a couple of things. And we started looking at carbs and, you know, low carb paleo seemed to be more effective. So let's eliminate some other foods. And then keto came along and keto really, really worked well for us, for truck drivers. Uh, so much so that we put a lot of time and effort into developing our version NDK, which was nutrient dense keto. We didn't want people just eating, you know, grocery store bacon and butter all day long. Um, we wanted them to eat a high fat diet with a lot of nutrients in it. So we focused on fish and organ meats and, you know, organic vegetables and it worked really, really well. We got fantastic results. And then we noticed, but there were some people that didn't get those same results. And, and why, what, what are we missing? And, um, women, sometimes we, we would have frustrated women, their husband would leave home as a truck driver, he would start this way of eating that we're talking about every day on the radio, and he might come home 40 or 50 pounds lighter because they might be gone for weeks or months at a time. And, you know, we had a lot of truck drivers losing a pound a day when they were eating, you know, a good nutrient rich keto diet. And they'd come home and their wife would be, who are you and where's my husband? And then she'd want to know, well, yeah. how did you do this? So she would try it. Right. We wouldn't get the same results. Sometimes we would. A lot of times we wouldn't. And we, we started yeah. thinking with women, well, maybe they just need more carbs. That seemed to be the, the thought process for a while. It, and that wasn't working for us. Turned out it was the opposite. The more we put them on a stricter keto diet, the better they did. Then carnivore started to become talked about a lot. And we certainly experimented with it and we honestly get even better results. And if we look at this progression, it just seems to me like we just keep eliminating more and more foods out of the diet. My diet has become so simple these days and I'm a big foodie, but I just find the more animal products I eat, the healthier I feel all around. Short term, long term, I tend to eat plants for variety. It just, you know, I, I put them in my diet because I like them and I grow a lot of them, but we are just finding that the more animal products we have people eat, the better the outcome is. I'm almost starting to look at food as though animal products are a are, are real diet. The more of those we eat, the, the better results we get. And we almost look as plants as medicine now. And we can eat our medicine. And, and, but we also have to watch out because medicine has side effects. And we have plants that have great nutritional properties, but they also have oxalates. And we know that's a big problem. I've dealt with it myself. And phytates and lectins and anti-nutrients and sometimes weird proteins. And it just seems like we, we, the more careful we are with plants in, in choosing them, and the more we focus on really high quality animal products, the better results we're getting. What do you think about that whole idea. And I know there's still that thought of, you know, we need a lot of plants in our diet and there are people who really promote a high plant keto diet. Uh, and I'm sure they get good results too, or they wouldn't be doing it, but we don't seem to get the same kind of results from those kind of diets as we do the way we're doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the lesson here is, uh, individual variation and even, you know, 
demographic group population based variation. If if I've been looking at this for many years and of course I've treated thousands of patients and trained thousands of practitioners who have also treated thousands of patients. So that's exponential. And I've had a lot of exposure through this to lots of different populations. People, you know, we did programs at CCFM, my clinic with first responders, which have some similar characteristics to right. truck driver population, you know, irregular hours, high stress, um, sedentary, you know, they're actually quite sedentary often, right, right. um, because a lot of, a lot of it is, is waiting for stuff to happen, you know, not, um, exposure to chemicals, of course, you know, yeah. with, uh, especially firefighters, um, at, you know, or, or police force, you know, sitting in their cars for long periods of time. And, and so a lot of those same challenges, and I would say in those populations, we had very similar results to, to you, you know, to what you've experienced. Um, but I also, you know, work with a high level, high performing athletes, entrepreneurs, C-level executives, and, you know, that can be more mixed uh, depending on what they're doing. You know, people who are training at a very high level doing intensely glycolytic activities often don't do really well with, you know, ketogenic diet or carnivore diet. They do actually do better with more carbohydrate. Uh, that's not always true. And particularly with endurance athletes, they can do quite well with you know, high fat, uh, low carb diets, but, uh, due to the nature of their activity, they might require a different approach. And then still, you know, people who have sort of, uh, a variety of different chronic illnesses that are more less about excess, you know, maybe they're, they're not dealing with overweight or obesity. They're dealing with maybe sarcopenia, like, you know, decline in muscle mass and, and just being really, really run down. Um, you know, poor sleep, uh, inflammatory conditions and things like that. Sometimes they, you know, require a different approach. So if there's one thing I've learned in all my years, that there's no, and I mentioned this in my first book, which is 10 years old now, um, but still relevant, in, especially in this regard, is that there's no one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to diet. And I think a lot of the problems and controversy and polarized arguments that we see in the space come from this idea that everyone should be doing the same thing. Uh, and there's, there's one best diet that will work best for everybody. I just, I think when we look at traditional cultures, scientific evidence, uh, clinical experience, if all three of those point to the same conclusion in my mind, which is that human beings generally thrive on a combination of plant and animal foods. Uh, rather than only plants, rather than only animal products, some combination. Now, within that, there can be a huge variation of what percentage of calories, for example, come from animal foods versus plants. In some cultures, for example, like the uh, in, traditional Inuit, the, Ma the Maasai in Africa, you, you had a very large percentage of calories coming from animal foods at most times during the year. Um, almost 100% during the winter in the Arctic, for example, and, you know, only plant foods being consumed during the summer months when, when they had access to them through, you know, some, some um, uh, crops growing for a short period of time or trading with other people. Um, the Maasai eat mostly uh, products from the cows that they raise, their pasture, their culture. So they're eating, you know, they're, they're eating meat and they're, they're drinking milk and even blood of the animals that they raise. So that's, you know, the, the primary source of their calories. 
On the other hand, you have cultures like the Kitavans in the South Pacific with the Tukacenta in Papua New Guinea, um, the Hazda, Hazda in Africa, um, other cultures in Africa who get a much larger percentage of calories from plant foods and maybe they're eating, uh, you know, fish, and sometimes pork or some other animal foods, egg, egg yolks, uh, things like that. And they're also, you know, traditionally before uh, they got exposed to modern Western culture, they were right. quite healthy and, and, you know, lived to, you know, if they were able to escape these threats of early childhood mortality that just come from living in underdeveloped places, they would live to ages comparable to our lifespan, but they would reach those ages without acquiring the diseases of civilization that plague us in our old age. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that uh, this idea that everybody needs to eat a massive amount of plant foods to be healthy is not really supported by the ancestral evidence or modern scientific evidence. But I would also say that the converse of that is true. We don't really have good examples of people, cultures traditionally that only ate animal products exclusively and never ate any plant foods. And there's quite a lot of research suggesting that phytonutrients that are found in, in plant foods almost exclusively have many benefits. It's just, I think that, you know, where I would agree with you is you don't need to eat a massive amount of those foods to get those benefits. You know, those, you know, those nutrients are quite concentrated in plant foods. And so, you, you know, if you look at like traditional cuisine, like Mexican food, for example, or even Korean food or other foods, other, other types of um, ethnic cuisine, Vegetables are often used more like condiments than they yeah. are main dishes. I, I, I was just about to jump in with kind of the way I, I've settled eating myself and we, we recommend it here. And I, I've kind of named it. We haven't, I haven't really formalized this yet. I'm getting ready to. We're, we're kind of calling it fermented carnivore. And we're doing a lot of fermented mm -hmm. vegetables really as condiments to go with the meat dishes. You know, you, you have a nice fatty yeah. meat dish. Nothing goes better than some really good kimchi or a nice spicy dill pickle mm -hmm. with barbecue. And it, it cuts the fat and it gives you some flavor. And um, we know all the benefits of fermenting vegetables. We can minimize some of the anti-nutrients by doing that. We can lower oxalates. We increase, you know, nutrient availability. We've got all the good bacteria on there. So uh, we're doing, uh, you know, a lot of animal products with, you know, a, a condiment, a fermented condiment with just about every meal. Um, and for me, I just find that I kind of thrive with a little bit of fruit and honey in my diet every day. So that's really, I've, I've kind of settled mm -hmm. into this kind of high fat carnivore, you know, really high quality meat, all of it. And most of my vegetables come out of my own garden. It's just not going to get much better than that. And then I'm fermenting the majority of them and adding some fruit and honey. And I, I just, I mean, the results for me seem fantastic. Uh, you know, I, I think what, what you just described, and that's why I really valued your opinion on that, um, I, I think we're fortunate to be able to work with, with such a homogenous group, kind of. And not only are they all truck drivers, but the majority of truck drivers today and the majority of our listeners and followers and clients and tribe are getting close to retirement age. They're, they're almost all in their 50s, yeah. 
when we would normally really start to see them have a lot of health issues. And they do. When they come to us, they're 300 plus pounds many times. And they have all of the things you know they would have. And I, I, I think we're just really fortunate that, that our practice is almost, I don't want to say easy, but it is kind of easy. I mean, we do the same thing over and over and we get really good results. That's amazing. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it is in some way easier to work with a, a dedicated population because they tend, you know, it doesn't mean they're going to all be 100% same, right. but they tend to have similar dynamics and share similar issues and may respond, tend to respond well to the, to the, to the same approaches. But, you know, I think it, it's, if I were working with this population, and as I mentioned, I have worked with similar population, I would probably be doing the same thing. So kudos for to you for um, being able to help these folks so much because it's it's such an important job as we learned in COVID. You know, no, no truck drivers, no nothing, no 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 functioning society and civilization as we know it. So, um, and it's it's a it's a it's a uphill battle, right? To, because it's just the nature of the job um, kind of stacks the deck. Uh, some of the modern influences that we've talked about, sitting too much, irregular sleep schedule, food, not uh, limited access to good food, et cetera. So I think it's amazing that you're doing this and coming up with ways to, to support these folks. Well, here, here's two of our favorites. So if we think about the, the way of eating we just talked about, you know, good, high quality animal products and fermented vegetables um, with pressure canning and fermentation, they can take 95 percent of the food they're going to eat on the truck with them with no refrigeration needed. Mm-hmm. We teach them how to pressure can meats yeah. and, and even whole meals with, with a lot of meat in them. Once they're pressure canned, that uh, it's got, I, I have stuff that I pressure canned meat six and seven years ago, still good. I'll open a jar every now and then and eat it. Amazing. It's fantastic. Um, just sitting on the shelf and fermented vegetables, you know, they can go in and out of the refrigerator. The, most stuff will last several weeks you know, without refrigeration in the truck. And that that becomes, and there's so many advantages to this. We're controlling all their, their nutrition and quality. We're controlling cost. We're saving time. Open a jar of meat, zap it in the microwave or eat it cold. I'm actually becoming a real fan of cold meat these days. Uh, and open up a jar yeah, of, yeah. Uh, you know, a, a fermented condiment and, and you got a meal in five minutes with no cleanup. Absolutely. Yeah, there's so much that can be done uh, with just a little bit of preparation in advance, as you pointed out. And uh, I've been a big advocate of that with my patients. And, you know, one pot meals that you can make on Sunday and and eat throughout the week, uh, you've taken it to another level because refrigeration is obviously a challenge with your population that you work with. But um, it's really true that just a little bit of investment of time and energy up front can yield huge benefits, um, you know, down the line and, and just cooking. Michael Pollan was right. You know, I forget, I'm forgetting the name of of the book where he Uh, emphasized this, but I think it was omnivore's dilemma, wasn't it? It might've been. Yeah. I couldn't remember whether it was a separate book, but his point is, if you could just make one change, and that was cooking your own oh, food, yeah, that right. would be, you know, more, much more, much more than half the battle, right? Uh, because so many of the things we're trying to avoid 
are things that are very difficult to avoid when you're eating out, especially on the road. Exactly. Yeah. A um, couple other topics I really want to talk about. So, you know, we we keep moving on to, you know, what's the next health thing we should tackle? So we kind of got diet down. And you know, when we changed the way people eat, we started seeing a lot of digestive issues showing up, new stuff, some old stuff improving, new stuff showing up. We spent a lot of time on digestion and we kind of got that all figured out and you know, help a lot of people with that. I spent a couple of years on a stress protocol that I'm getting ready to finish up that I'd almost like to get you back on another show so we could talk about that. Um, I, I, yeah, I, another one. Yeah, it's, it's such a big topic and I've, I've done a lot of work on it, come up with a lot of good stuff I'd love to get your opinion on. You know, there's another one though. We, we started moving to like, other parts of the body and, and what else could we be doing different? Mm. And I'd like to get your feedback on like oral care. This is kind of a new area for us. Um, we found a company to partner with Primal Life. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them or not, but mm. they have a whole dental mm. care. And, you know, the founder of that wasn't a doctor. She was an art dentist. I mean, she was a nurse. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people mm. say, well, what do you know about teeth? You're not a dentist or a nurse, but I hear that all the time. People tell me I'm not a doctor too. Um, so I, I was intrigued by her thought process that, you know, her whole philosophy is that like almost everything else in our body, our oral health really comes down to bacteria and having the right balance. And so much of what traditional dentistry does wipes out that good bacteria and then we need this constant dental care and fillings and we have inflamed gums and that leads to other health issues. Her claim, and I, I'm really starting to believe it, we're putting it to a test in the real world with a lot of people now, is that with proper oral bacteria and, and oral health that teeth can actually heal cavities. And, and the first time I thought that, I thought, oh, come on. Um, no way. We've never seen a cavity heal. Everybody gets fillings. and But I, um, we're starting to see some evidence of this. And changing over to her entire system, I've been doing it for a couple months now, just incredible changes in the feedback we've been getting. Uh, really, really positive. What are your thoughts on, on you know, better oral care? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we had a periodont. We've had actually several dentists and periodontists go through my adapt practitioner training program, which is our 12-month functional medicine training program for clinicians. And when I first started, I was actually I was surprised to see the number of dentists and periodontists that were interested in signing up. But as I got to understand the professions better and and read some more research on oral health and oral care, and then the relationship between oral health and overall health that made perfect sense to me. Because um, as you pointed out, the, the oral cavity has a microbiome just like our gut does and every other, you know, most other parts of our body, including the skin and the lungs and our, our nasal cavities, there's, there's uh, microbiome everywhere. And I knew already, of course, about the huge impact that the gut microbiome has on not just our gut health, but our overall health. So I was predisposed, you could say, to, um, you know, understanding and accepting the connection between our oral microbiome and, and not just oral health, like, you know, dental caries, cavities, the health of our gums, et cetera, but our overall health, because the, the mouth is, uh, is, uh, 
a, a gateway to the rest of our body. You know, things, what's happening in the mouth will um, impact what's happening elsewhere in the body. If we have it, we, uh, I've known for many, many years that, uh, that uh, periodontal inflammation and, and periodontitis is associated with a higher risk of heart disease. Uh, when I say we've known that that's been evident to periodontists and it's in the scientific literature, I don't think a lot of right, people know right. that. But there, there, there's been this very strong connection between oral health issues and, and even cardiovascular disease and other inflammatory conditions. And so, yeah, I started, uh, you know, maybe eight to 10 years ago, um, I, I started partnering with uh, functional dentists and periodontists that I would refer patients to. And we started working together on individual patient cases and I saw miraculous things happen. I, I did see full remineralization of, of cavities and, and other tooth decay from wow. um, not just restoring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, SESA is not supposed to happen. Right. Right. You right. Know, it is. But if you, if you ask a, if you ask a conventional dentist, they'll say that's impossible. Uh, we, we had, I remember one patient, the dentist was absolutely convinced that they had met, that they had mixed up the, uh, the, the x-rays, the films, of uh, the patient, because he, re- he refused to believe that this could have happened. So he, he was, you know, spent weeks trying to figure out how they had met, you know, mislabeled the initial x-ray or the second one. Wow. He was that incredulous, um, that this could actually happen. And, and it was a, it's a combination of restoring the oral microbiome, uh, and you can do that through dent, with dental probiotics and lots of other, um, you know, lots of other interventions, but also restoring the status of, restoring the adequate levels of nutrients that help right. mineralize our teeth. So right. those would be things like vitamin D, calcium, uh, magnesium, which helps with calcium and vitamin D metabolism, silica, Etc. and just and vitamin A and K2, of course, which regulates calcium metabolism. So, you know, therapeutic doses of these nutrients, along with restoring adequate oral uh, health food microbiome, uh, can have just a dramatic effect. Yeah, I had patients who had cavity every single time they would go see the dentist, you know, and, and then all after these kinds of interventions, they haven't had a cavity for five years, six years, seven years. So it's real. <laughs> You know, I, I'm not sure why I'm surprised because, you know, I was going to make the statement, how do you keep something like this a secret? But how do you keep the fact that nobody, no human being needs to be diabetic a secret? And they've managed to keep that quiet, too. Yeah. Um, but it, it was shocking to me. What do you mean I can heal a cavity? How did I not know that? How does nobody know that? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's. I, I think, you know, it's often follow the money yeah. uh, is, is one answer to it. Yeah. Uh, it's also groupthink is a, is a powerful interfering factor with uh, progress and change. We get entrenched in our beliefs and um, it becomes a situation. And this is true in any field, not just medicine, where oftentimes new ideas um, come from outside. And because inside of the profession, we get really entrenched in our, in our, you know, beliefs and our ways and, and, and a new idea can be threatening. You know, if you've built a career, for example, saying one thing and doing one thing and, and creating a whole system of processes and w- ways of treating people and 
that are all built around these common assumptions and then those assumptions change that's like the ground being pulled out from under your feet yeah um, um and so you know I, i'm not making i'm not making excuses here like no i, 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 I agree we all share responsibility but it's yeah. like it's like turning it this, this is what i've learned kevin you know when I'm, my second book called unconventional medicine was all about what we're talking about here right and in the years since i've written that since i wrote that like when i wrote that book it was all laid out like these right. <laughs> nothing nothing was controversial in terms of the statistics i shared in that book like everything was verifiable you can see how poorly our healthcare system or sick care system more yeah. more, more accurately is, is is working or not working again as the case may be and you know I, I laid out a plan which i think is fairly straightforward for addressing that but that plan bumps up against all of these economic realities of deeply entrenched financial interests that are not have no incentive or motivation to make things different because they're making money hand over fist with the current system. And as Upton Sinclair once said, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary is dependent on not understanding it. And then you just have like changing the paradigm. It takes time. We're working on it and we'll get there, but it's frustratingly slow. You know, one of my, the best examples I have of what you just described, and and it's why I have just tremendous respect for uh, Dr. Wolfson, uh, Jack Wolfson. He's become a pretty regular guest. I uh, traveled with him recently. We were at a conference together and, and I really got to to know him. And it, it, a couple of interesting things happened when we were at the conference. One, you know what you just talked about. Not only do, did they have these beliefs, but look at what they go to, to through to become a doctor, the money, the time, the commitment, what it does to their personal life. I mean, it, it's a crazy profession. His father was a cardiologist. He was a cardiologist. And, and then he actually made the statement on my show and, and I was just in awe of this, that he said, you know, he said, I spent the first part of my life killing people slowly. And I never meant to, but when I realized that that's what I was doing, I had to stop. And he said, I, I just hope I have enough time now to make up for it, uh, which I thought was an incredible mm-hmm. thing to be able to say and, and to come to that conclusion. And then something interesting really happened. We were standing around at a conference and there was three or four other cardiologists there and he knew them all. And um, this was a it was a AM four. It was the longevity conference. So there's some, you know, more natural approaches going on there. But yet one of the cardiologists brought up working with celebrities and, you know, he was kind of complaining about them that they're so demanding, but they pay really, really well. Like that should justify all that. Um, And they kind of looked at Dr. Wilson and asked him if he worked with celebrities. And he said, hell no. And for the reason you just said, they want my cell phone number. They think they can call me anytime they want. Yeah. Uh, he said that, that yeah. I, I don't want to live that way anymore. He doesn't live like a cardiologist anymore. He spends a lot of time with his family and outdoors and doing things. Yeah. And, and, and they said, well, you know, what, what's your, what's your patient profile? And he said, believe it or not, it's a 57 year old truck driver. That, that's like his practice now. Yeah, and and he loves working with them. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I mean, I would say the same thing. I've, I've had a few high profile and celebrity clients, but I'm very choosy about who I work. You know, I, I, there's a kind of extensive vetting process there to ensure that they understand that I'm not 
uh, starstruck in any way. I'm not going to treat them differently than any other patients that I have. Right. <laughs> and, you know, they're just a person and, and right. they're, they're a human being in my eyes and I will treat them with compassion and respect and the same level of attention that I give anyone else. And, and actually, largely, I've been with a couple of notable exceptions have, have had a good experience with oh, that. Good. I think good. it's about expectations up front. <laughs> you yeah, know? Right. And, and, right. And the people who are... T- who were turned off by that just didn't stick around. You know, they, they went somewhere else and that's fine. But, uh, you know, I, I, I want to highlight something you said, which is, I think something lacking in medicine, which is ability and the ability to, when we're wrong, right. I, I said this in my second book, but if, if, if you look at the history of science and medicine, it's the, really, it's the history of most people being wrong about most things most of the time. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's objectively yeah. true right, right? No, if you it look is. back right. in history yeah. uh, and and what and it's and what's objectively true is that we always look back on previous generations to sort of passing <laughs> chuckle you know like ah oh, those those ignorant people <laughs> they didn't know but we yeah. we assume that we're not the same we're not going to be the same in a hundred years looking back and we think we have all the answers. And you know, my I've made an effort throughout my career to try to admit when I'm when I was wrong, when I didn't have and and be about the things I don't know because if that really is how science is supposed to work, exactly. it's an amazing process. Right. to understand it. It's a quite Wait. you formulate hypothesis, which is a guess. That's a keyword. <laughs> Their guess, and ideally that that guess is an educated guess based on everything that has come before. And you set out to prove you're wrong. Yes, the amazing thing about science, like you start out assumption that your guess is wrong, and then you design an experiment to essentially prove yourself wrong. And then if you don't prove yourself wrong, (laughs) even then you don't. You're right. Say that I have not yet proved wrong. If, if if we were really embracing the true nature of science, we'd be a better place. You know, I I, I love that approach. We we're strong on that idea here. We tell people all the time we're going to be wrong. We're going to be wrong about a lot of stuff. But the more wrong we are, and the faster we can do it, the more we can get to some right stuff, some stuff that works and helps. And I, you know, I, I see that much, much more kind of in the functional, holistic, natural world. And I hope it stays that way. I hope we don't get to this point where we just say, "No, we figured it out. We know all this now." Because we we don't. We're, there are so many areas we're not even close yet. Sleep is one of them. I've done a huge dive into sleep, and I, I just think we are really way off on a lot of our our thoughts about sleep. I just haven't figured out what we're wrong about yet. I just think we're wrong about a lot of stuff. Uh, so many, Chris, I, I, I'm looking yeah. at the clock, and so many things I wanted to get to on my notes. We blew right through this hour, and I want to make sure we're respectful of I'm your time. I'm happy to come back can, sometime. Can, do you have time to take one or two calls, or do you have to go? Sure. Uh, no, go. I have a couple more minutes. And okay. Then- that happy to come back. I always enjoy. Yeah, that, that would be great. So let's uh, let's go to Nevada. Ron has been very patient. Ron, welcome. Ron, okay. Hey, Kevin, how are you? I to tell you about my experience with medical system. Uh, last week, last Wednesday, I got a hernia operation, 
I'm 69 years old, and it's the first time I did anything like that. I went whatever they under the knife, whatever. Okay, <clears throat> so I keep it brief about what led up to it. But the first checkup, they ordered me to do a blood test, right? And they found out they found hay in my blood. I, I knew. I know where I got it, blah, blah, blah. And the one, so right after the test came back, the nurse called and said, uh, we get this taken care of before you have the operation. Said, well, I'm not in the hep treatment. I know about it. I know people that did it. I said, I'm never doing that. And so if, if you have a, uh, the hep C thing, I'm not getting operated. And then the next day, the nurse or the doctor called me back, the one that did my first examination, and gave me the same spiel. I gave her the same spiel. And then I, I even called uh, uh, one or two of my friends that I knew had done before. They said, yeah. I'm going to operate on you unless you're hep C. And I said, you wait and see. I, they will. So <clears throat> about, it took about three weeks, and I made a, a, however that worked out, I had an appointment with the guy that was doing the surgery, okay, in his office. He looked at it. He looked at my medical records. And I told, you know, and I gave him my history. I said, I'm 69 years old. I never took a prescription drug and I've never been one pound overweight. And uh, he knew that I was easy money. Okay. Because, uh, hey, I mean, what hey, what more could you ask? Hey, hey Ron, I don't mean to rush you. We got to get to a question here. We're just limited on time okay. right now with Chris. Okay. What? No. What's what, the question? No, that's what I'm waiting for you. What's your question? We need to get to one, if there is one. Is there oh, a question oh, for Chris? I, well, I, I I just wanted to tell you how good this stuff works. So I'm good. I I talked to the call, call screener and told her okay, I have a it. really good. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, when I went in for the surgery, uh, you know, they asked you, did you drink anything today? Coffee? Blah blah blah. I said, yeah, I had some coffee with coconut oil in it. And they, what do you put coconut oil in your coffee for? To, to go along and with said, the butter. Because I'm a, <laughs> I, don't, I, I know you've got the scientific version of, of bulletproof coffee, but my version of bulletproof coffee was the easy truck driver version. You go buy the cheapest coconut oil you can find, and put as much as you can stand in your coffee, whip it with a blender, and drink it. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's that's how I've been doing it ever since you started talking about bulletproof coffee. Okay. So anyway, I, I just explained real quick that coconut oil is the big best fat available, so that's why I put it in my coffee because I'm a fat burner. And then, uh, you know, they're looking at me, and I always show I always show the chicks this. That I okay. Part of my health routine is I get up in the morning as early as I can, as many hours 
before the sun comes up as I can. And I play my mandolin for five hours straight. I don't do anything else except drink coffee, eat a raw pit, just like, a, just like when I was driving a truck. Get behind the wheel and drive for five hours. That was easy, right? Hey, hey Ron. That, that was the easy Ron, part Ron, of the job. Hey. I, I hate to do it, but here's what yeah. I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to call back next time and play the mandolin for us. Let let the mandolin rain. No, but I, but I, 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 I got to move along. I, I, uh, I, I, I got to do it. Uh-oh. I got to move along. We got one more call I want to try to squeeze in because he's been patient as well. Roland in West Virginia, can we get to a question here for Chris? Hey, Kevin. Uh, my Friday, my HGB was 6.6. 6. Uh, they wanted to transfuse me. I said, holiday weekend, no way. I went back yesterday. My HGB hemoglobin was slightly higher at 6.9. And I said, I don't want to transfuse it. I want a diagnosis. So that's where we're at. We don't know what the heck causes it. You know, it could be a half dozen or ten things that was causing it. My EKG was good. My stethoscope was good. Uh, my blood work was all good. But, but lo and behold, the RDW-CV was 19.9%, which is high. And the hemoglobin was low. Uh, I've increased my walnuts. I've increased my green leafies. Uh, what the heck else should I do? Or what do you think it is? Chris, any thoughts? Yeah, thanks, th- thanks for your question. And I, of course, I have to preface this with uh, I, I, this is not medical advice. Uh, it's very unethical to try to diagnose someone over a phone call uh, with a very limited amount of information. So I can't hear uh, I just give, uh, uh, pardon me? Uh, somebody interrupted me. Okay, yeah. So I, I, can just, I, I can just provide some general guidelines here in terms of um, testing for blood sugar-related disorders. Hemoglobin A1C is a good marker for screening that's used because it's cheap and and doesn't require fasting. But as you already experienced, it's pretty variable uh, from test to test. And you always, in a clinical situation, we want to follow up with additional tests like fasting blood glucose. I'd want to get a post-meal glucose reading that could be done with a glucometer. It could be done one oh four on Friday. Mm-hmm. Not really. Uh, you, Not you know, maybe looking at fasting insulin, and generally in these situations, a lot, you know, a lot of the types of interventions that Kevin was talking about before, like a ketogenic or a very low carb diet, um, and you know, ensuring that you have adequate levels of nutrients that support blood sugar, healthy blood sugar regulation can go a long way. And, and I know Kevin can speak to this, but I've certainly seen people in my clinic go from A1Cs and the sixes down to normal A1Cs or at least high normal A1Cs just with dietary and nutritional interventions. Well, let me tell you one important thing I left out. It's affecting my heart rate and or intensity, and it's sometimes it's affecting my breathing. So I think my body, my body apparently is screaming for oxygen at the slightest exertion. Like I'm sitting here right now, I so, don't think there's anything wrong with me. So Roland, if I take a hundred yard brisk walk, my breathing, my heart rate goes up too easily. One of the things you, you know you could do, yeah. you could start with a discovery call with uh, Lauren or we could do some one-on-one uh, because again, what a, a lot of what Chris said is absolutely true. We're gonna have to dig a, a little deeper on this one. 
Uh, and uh, we, we've just got to move along, though. We've got to let Chris get on with this busy day. Chris, we, we do want to get you back. Um, really appreciate all the time today. Um, great stuff, as always. And what do you want to close Absolutely. with today? Uh, yeah, just just a reminder that it's not all bad news. There's a lot of great stuff we can do to um, improve our health and, and you know, prevent and even reverse uh, these these conditions we're dealing with. And you can find out more about my work at chriscresser.com. And then our supplement line is Adapt Naturals at adaptnaturals.com. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Really appreciate it. Fantastic. Yeah, start at chriscresser.com. So much there. You can find out about books and programs and nutrition and, and all kinds of things. So uh, head on over there. We'll get that posted on our site for you as well. And uh, Chris, we'll look forward to getting you back. Thanks. Take care. Take Bye-bye. care. All right. Ah, Lauren, sheesh. I know I always, with, with guests, I always have too many notes and never enough time, but um, that one really seemed like it went fast. It did. I agree. I looked at my my um, my watch here about 20 minutes ago, and I was I, thinking, oh, my goodness, I, we're, about, we're about out of time. I know. I felt like we just got started, and I looked up, and I'm like, we have 15 minutes left, and there's calls, and... Um, it's just hard. You, you think an hour with no commercials, you'd be able to really cover a lot of topics. But um, Chris is I really know. good at, at really kind of going into depth on each one of his answers, which I think, you know, does help people. So um, we can open up the yeah. phone lines right now. Uh, we will stay here as long as you've got questions. The schedule today is uh, Lauren and I are here till 11 or till we run out of calls and then at 11.30, we'll pick up um, Driver Health over on Twitter Spaces. I'm going to continue the theme of myths. You know, last week I, I did the myth of low fat. I didn't get to cover, again, I didn't get to cover even a quarter of my notes, but people jumped in and started talking, and that's exactly what we want over there. Uh, but we're going to kind of continue that, and and this week I'm going to really focus on cholesterol and fat. Those Those two go hand in hand, and we've got so much of this wrong. So um, that's the theme today. But of course, on a space, anything goes, uh, we can jump in and talk about anything. So that'll happen at 1130. If you're not familiar, Twitter Spaces is now broadcast live on our app as well. So you do not have to be on Twitter to hear the live version. We are working on getting all the past Twitter Spaces up on the app and then getting those posted to the app uh, usually within 24 hours, the way we do the show. So looking forward to the Twitter space again. We're hitting a, a lot of new people. You know, it's it's kind of fun, Lauren, to, to reach out to people that haven't heard any of this stuff before. Oh, I agree. It was a completely different experience on Twitter than it is, you know, here at Destination Health. So it, I agree. It was, uh, it was, it was different and I, I, I welcome it. I enjoy it. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm glad now we've got it on the app. A lot of people were unhappy. They thought they were going to have to join Twitter to hear it live and they didn't want to. And um, we've, we've, I don't have it completely worked out. I'm still testing a couple of different uh, technologies to use with spaces, but for the most part, I think we've got it. So uh, that will always be live now on the app. Um, calls are starting to come in, so I think we should probably just uh, just start grabbing calls. Let's go to Texas. Okay. Paul, howdy. 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 Yesterday you mentioned about people that fall asleep 
really quickly. Yes. And that might not be good for your health, or your health might not be as good as you think. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. It there. Again, I I don't believe we have much figured out around sleep, so all of this is subject to change. But there is a a pretty strong body of evidence and thought process that. As a human being, a healthy human being with a good sleep cycle, it should take us about 10 to 15 minutes to fall asleep. And if we fall asleep faster than that, that it's probably an indication we're not getting enough good quality sleep. That, That if you can fall asleep that fast, you're probably exhausted. And that's not ideal. It, it's it's better. I would say if I had to pick, it's better than somebody that takes two hours to fall asleep because they have insomnia every night. But ideally, yeah. you should be falling asleep right around that 15 minute mark. Yeah, usually I'm well ahead of that. It probably I'm, just I'm more like the five, five minutes. Yeah. yeah, and I'm not sure, honestly, that I'm going to be able to fix most truck drivers out sleep issues. Unless they're like local and they're home every night and they have a really regular schedule. But for most truck drivers, I, I don't know that we'll ever get their sleep right. It, it Everything about the sleep cycle for most truck drivers goes against everything our natural sleep cycle is supposed to be. Well, I, I keep mine fairly consistent. Like I don't, I don't pull those overnighters. Occasionally I might burn the candle a little bit at both ends but usually I'm uh, by 2am that's a really late finish but it, quite often I might go till so, uh, 11 o'clock or midnight but I, I don't I don't get up at 5am well actually uh, lately I've started waking up earlier but that's a seasonal sleep thing is consistent. I sleep I sleep overnight and, like th- a and that's, person would and that's good yeah. The, the more you can control that as a driver, the better we can do with sleep. I, I've got an interesting thing going on with sleep right now. And I, I'm sure everybody realized how many years I've been working on sleep and testing different things. And I know exactly what I need right now to fix my sleep. I could do it. The problem is I'd have to give up too much of my lifestyle. I it, I know how I could get to the point where I would probably sleep somewhere between six and a half and seven and a half hours a night, and I I could get my sleep score into the 90s. And there are times where my sleep score has been in the 30s for extended periods of time. I know how to get it to 90. I'm not willing to live that lifestyle right now. It would be too restrictive for me. I would have to stop doing a lot of stuff, and I I don't want to do that. So I, I'm finding that yeah. balance. Can I, can I get five and a half or six hours of sleep a night? And so I've gone back and forth and I've tested things and retested. And all of a sudden, after all that, I have a new result showing up and I'm trying to figure out why. So I'm not doing anything right now that would really be improving my sleep. I'm not doing the things I know that would get me to seven, seven and a half hours and better quality because I don't want to. I, I don't want to quit being physically active at six o'clock at night so that I can wind down and be ready to fall asleep at 8.30 or nine. I, I don't want to do that. I want to be yeah. doing stuff. Um, I don't want, I shouldn't get up quite as early as I do, um, but I want to, because it gives me more time to go do stuff. Uh, 
So I know I'm not going to get there, but all of a sudden I'm doing nothing to improve my sleep. My sleep score should be somewhere in the high 30s, low 40s based on history and what I'm doing right now. And all of a sudden it's in the high 50s, low 60s. And I'm looking at everything I'm doing and saying, well, wait a minute, there is nothing I'm doing that should be improving my sleep. And there's only one really big change in my life right now but I've never heard any correlation between these two things, but I'm starting to wonder. So the only thing I'm doing different right now is the oral health. And I've been doing it for six to eight weeks or so. And I'm just wondering, is that, is what, is there just something odd going on in all the years of testing sleep? I've never had this happen. So it's gotta be something really odd but there is this other major change and I'm just wondering what the correlation is. Yeah, well, I got, I got up at quarter to six yesterday morning at home, left home about nine o'clock, got loaded, did 646 miles, went to bed at quarter past 11, uh, woke up at 4.23, stayed awake till about quarter past five, give or take, and then dozed off again, and then I woke up at about 20 to 7 and got up. So, But I never take a nap during the day, but I don't know. Maybe I should work harder. I don't know. Well, so one of the things I have identified, and I've been this may be another change, but I've done this before, and I didn't get this result. I can do better on what's called biphasic sleep. It's just a weird schedule to get used to. So yesterday was an example. Uh, Even though I've been sleeping better, I've been really, really active. I've had like 18, 19,000 step days, uh, active both physically and mentally, uh, really busy days. And um, I just got to the point, and it's happened a couple times over the last couple of weeks, where I get off the air, I go try to do something else whether it's physical or mental, and I just have no energy and I'm exhausted. And I I just, I do a brain tap and I take a nap. But those naps now are turning into like two and a half hours. So last night at one one o'clock in the morning, I was still wide awake. So my biphasic sleep schedule would look something like wake up at 5.30 in the morning at 2 or 2.30 in the afternoon, take a nap, and it's probably going to be a couple hours and then I'm probably not going to want to go back to sleep again until about two in the morning. So I might get my six hours, oh, okay. but it might be two, three hour periods. And it's just a weird schedule. What do you do at one yeah. o'clock in the morning? Yeah. I, I was working on audio issues at, at two o'clock this morning because I didn't know what else to do. Well, it's all sounding good, sir. And the, uh, the I've been listening in on the Twitter spaces. I don't have a Twitter account yet, but that's really good shows so far so good thank you appreciate it all right let's uh let's grab another call let's go to kansas bob welcome to the program hey kevin i was just in a have you ever heard of the manitou springs incline i've actually two springs i've actually been been in it on it um several times and What's the other big thing there? The the gardens. What's the um, seven? The Garden seven? of the Gods. Garden of the Gods. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That yeah. area is absolutely I did, beautiful. I just did the, I did the incline with my family and stuff and we all did it. And it was just a 
cool climb and uh i i don't know if anybody could ever take i wouldn't take a truck up there but i i I think guys could park at the bottom and ride the bus up and stuff but man what a challenge what a mental challenge to go up that thing and it's like 200 and or no 2768 steps to the top about one mile Yeah, and you gain about twenty two hundred feet in elevation, and it was it was cool. What a challenge! It but you know I was thinking, you know, five years ago when I started keto and this different lifestyle, I never would have even thought about trying to do something like that. And I'm five years older, and I I mean I marched to the top of that, no problem. I could have done it twice, I think. But isn't that an awesome feeling? I just yeah. I cannot believe it. I uh, just what a what a cool experience. And you know what? The people are so nice. Everybody's going through this pain. You know, I, I don't know. Pain brings people together. Because right. Everybody was so nice all the way up. I had my family with me and kids, and, and you know, it was just such a cool experience. I'd tell anybody to go do it. You know, I mean, it, it it's not like impossible to do. You don't need any special equipment. You just right. some water bottles and a comfortable pair of shoes and it, it's, but you feel so good when you get to the top. It is, it is amazing. And every time you turn around and look back, you're like, Oh my God. Uh, right. Yeah, no, it's just, what, yeah. a, what a neat thing to do. No, I, I agree. That's uh you know, we, when we lived there, we just, we did all of that. There's so much to do in that part of the country. And uh, I just love it there. Hey, I let somebody else get in. I just wanted to, tell what I did this weekend. So, all right. Have a good day. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Missouri. Jerry, welcome to the program. Uh, hi, Kevin and Lauren. Uh, for a very specific reason, I have completely disregarded a lot of your oral health information. How would the oral health information pertain to those of us that have full dentures? Mm. What products and what you know, what benefits and what products would be specific to those of us that don't have teeth anymore. We just take them out and wash them. And Right. So obviously we're not concerned uh, about the tooth health itself because it's gone. So we don't even have to think about that at this point. But what we do know is that people with dentures and the earlier you get dentures, the worse, worse your health outcomes will be. Now that's under the, the standard system. You can point to people with dentures are going to have heart attacks more often. They're going to have health issues earlier in life uh, because that, again, a a lot of our health starts here. But we know that the tooth is not the really important part of this. Dentists focus on teeth, right? Everything they do almost is on your teeth. I I know they work with gum inflammation and that, but for the most part, you go there and they are completely focused on your teeth. Oh, you have a cavity. We got to fill it. Oh, the cavity got too bad. We need a crown. Oh, the crown's failing. We need a root canal. That's the process that you'll go through over time with traditional dental care. And in the meantime, what the, what the teeth are telling us is the, the more of the story. The teeth are telling us if they're failing and we're getting cavities and losing teeth, that we have really poor oral health. We have a poor oral microbiome. So they're an indicator, but we don't really need to focus on teeth, even if we still have them. The the teeth brushing is not as important as we thought it was. The, The 
native people were healthy with no teeth brushing whatsoever. I mean, they might have used twigs to pick their gums and that kind of stuff. They didn't really brush their teeth with toothpaste and brushes and fluoride and all that other crap. And they didn't get cavities or they did. And their cavities healed themselves because they had the natural oral microbiome they were supposed to have. So I would want to run this question by Trina, the, the founder of Primal Life. But my, my take on this would be you're still going to focus on that good microbiome in your oral health, not because we're trying to take care of your teeth. We're trying to take care of your gums and the rest of your body. So I have a feeling you're going to get all the exact same benefits as everybody else does, other than some of us are really excited about cavity healing. You wouldn't have that issue. You sell in, I never looked. Did you sell individual products yes. that she uh, has other than the whole kit? Or I mean, are there products I can buy individually? Let me go check. I know that Lisa has been working towards that, but the store has been crazy busy, which is good. I want to thank everybody. Um, I asked for that the other day and we got it. So thank you. Not that I want you to quit. Um, I'd like to see that cash flow. Um, but let me check real quick to see if anything. Well, I've got to do my part. I've got a box. Of, I've got a box at home of about 30 jars of the uh, different nut butters in there. So I do my part. Well, thank you. There you go. I just ordered ten, it. I ordered 10, 10 at a time. Yeah, so here, here's That's what's great. available right now. The detox kit itself, which you really should only buy once. I bought about 20 of them. I got confused um, when I was first testing this stuff. I ended up with a whole bunch of kits. I don't know how I did that. Um, that comes with a, a bunch of, you know, really high quality uh, picks, uh, for stimulating your gums and flossing and that kind of stuff. Comes with the good quality bamboo charcoal toothbrush. Um, one small powder of the remineralizing and one small charcoal uh, and the tongue scraper. That's the kit. Well, you don't need the tongue scraper again. You don't need the toothbrush for a while. Probably get plenty of dental picks. So you can buy the gum drops separately and both of the tooth powders. And I, I believe we're working on getting some other products in individually as well. What the hell would I do with a tooth powder? Oh yeah, <laughs> that's right. What am I? Wait, yeah, no, don't, don't, because they're they're really designed to improve natural teeth. So yeah, um, you would uh, the tongue scraper keeping that bacteria off the tongue is a big part of this. The uh, gum drops um, you would use. You just put them in and do a little bit of oil pulling with them. Um, uh, and that's probably it. I mean, there are some other well, probably products. too many gums, huh. probably too many gum drops when I was a kid. That's why I don't have any teeth, you know. That's kind of why it's <laughs> funny that she calls it gum drops. Yeah, it's a play on words, but I like it. That. Is all right. Well, I was just curious. I, I mean, so much of it doesn't doesn't pertain to me, but yet a lot of it's still good with the gum health. So I understand now, that. So. Here's the other thing that I would say to you that we know that when people start eating a lot of fermented foods, their oral health improves. So between the, the gum drops, the tongue scraper and, you know, a, a daily dose of fermented foods, um, you will probably be able to keep your oral health as good as possible, knowing that you have dentures. Right. Okay. Well, that answered the question. I uh, I just couldn't understand how it all was toothpaste and oh, stuff yeah. pertained that, to me, but yet it, 
I was I was concerned about the oral health. I just didn't know how to approach it. You know, I may even reach I out. To, uh, I'll, I'm sorry. I was yeah, go ahead. Thinking that you could use that mineral powder, you know, that we you know that we use for um, for brushing the teeth, and use that to brush the dent the you know the dentures just to clean them maybe, or. I know that they also have like a some kind of drop like gel formula. But basically, uh, what you want to do is keep the the bad bacteria out of the mouth without killing the good. And if you don't have anywhere for it to lodge itself, because your teeth are you know you're taking the dentures out, then I don't think you have to worry about it quite as much as you know people with teeth who get you know bacteria stuck in between or, or whatnot. So hope that helps. Well, having had dentures for quite a number of years, I'd encourage anybody that's a hell of a lot younger than me to take care of your damn teeth. It's a pain in the ass. You know, I I had a driver, and I I knew this way back when, um, even before I knew a lot of this other health stuff that, you know, oral health was a big part of health. I read a lot, so I came across that. I had a driver. His father started working for me first, and his father was about my age, actually about five years older than I was, I think. Uh, and then two of his sons came to work for me. And one of them, when he started with me, was like 28 years old. And he was actively going to the dentist to have his teeth removed so he could get dentures. And he was looking forward to it. Come on. And I tried so hard to talk him out of it. Now, he always had cavities, so he's always going to the dentist. He was always getting work done. So he was just, he's like, I'm done with it. I, I just, nothing works. I just want him out. And I, I tried to convince him. You get dentures before you're 30, and you are going to be miserable for the rest of your life. I can attest to that. All right. So I, I am going All to right. run that by Trina, though. I, I'm, I am going to reach out to her and ask her um, what would be a good protocol for somebody with dentures. I bet she's got a great protocol with her products. So um, I appreciate the question. That's a great question. Uh, and I'll reach out and get an answer to that. Let's go to Florida. Phone lines are open. Uh, This is the last call on the board right now. So uh, if you want to jump in, you better dial 855-950-3835. Pat, welcome. Hi, Uh, Kevin. I got two questions. Pressure canning. Uh, Number one, I'm getting a, a cow, my second cow in a row this year. Uh, we're splitting it with somebody, but I want to get away from refrigeration and, and freezing so that I'm not, Good. uh, you know, stuck with rotten food in the freezer. Yep. Uh, what is the pressure canner that you would recommend for me? I mean, this is like a 650 half, a 650 pound half I'm going to get. So I can imagine there's a lot of canning to do. There is a lot of canning to do, and I'll give you the ultimate setup if I were going to do this, and then you can decide how much money you want to spend. The ultimate setup, my guess, would cost me about $1,000, but you could do it for half that easily. It's just you're going to have to take more time. So when I say the ultimate setup, I look at like two days of canning in a row, which is what I like to do. And you can put up a lot of food if you're set up and prepared. So how much could we get done in two days if we had the right equipment? That That's kind of how I came to this setup. I would get the, the brand of pressure canner is simple. There's only one I really recommend. If you want the best pressure canner on the market, hands down, it's the All-American. Nobody else even comes close all machined aluminum. It doesn't even have a seal. 
the metal lid matches so well to the metal, the aluminum pot itself that it seals metal to metal. That's how well this thing is machined. So you don't have, don't have a seal to fail or to clean or to worry about. Just crazy high quality. Um, so hands down, that's easily the only... Now, there are tons, and if you need to save money, you could buy some other pressure canner. They work. But I, I don't even keep names in my head because this is the only one I would ever recommend. Um, what I would do is I would get two of their really big models. I think it's a 41 quart is their biggest. I would get two of those and I would get a big dual burner um, outdoor cooktop propane with, with two big burners on it. And that would be my setup for canning. And with that, you could can an awful lot of meat in two days. Uh, I don't know the numbers. On, um, is it hard? It's not. No, I mean, hard, hard to do on an electric stove. I wouldn't recommend doing it on an electric stove. Uh, now, if you have an older style electric stove with coils, you can do that. Yes. Okay. You can yes. do that. The, the issue you run into there is trying to work with their biggest canner is not going to do well on a cooktop that, that's that high for one problem, and your burners are probably too small. Now, you could get a 20, you know, a 20 quart or maybe a 25 um, and make it work on an electric burner. And like I said, you can do that and you can still can all day long. It, um, the setup I'm giving you is, do you want to get as much canning done as possible in two days? That would be the setup you would use. Your work, yours will work just fine. I would go with a smaller uh, pressure canner that fits your biggest burner is what I would do. And I would recommend people okay. don't ever can on a glass cooktop. I've seen them shatter. Right. I've seen them stop working. So I don't recommend doing this on a glass cooktop. I have an induction cooktop, so I can't do it because aluminum doesn't work on induction. So that's why I've got right. and pro propane burners are just so much more efficient at this. So um, I am. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm not yet a uh, healthy tribe member. Is there a whole bunch of YouTube videos of, of people and you doing uh, this canning process? Not a, not a whole bunch, but you don't need a whole bunch. There are tutorials where I'm pressure canning and we filmed it and we walked. It, it really, once you see one tutorial, after that, you know, you, you can do a quick look up on different foods. It, it's The process is the same over and over and over. And virtually everything, I well, I shouldn't say that, but most of what I can is meat. So the times don't even change. You know, you know what pressure, right. you know what time, it's always going to be the same. If it's got meat in it, you're always going to process that for 75 minutes for pints and 90 minutes for quarts. If, if you put meat in the recipe or in the dish at all, it's always going to be 75 and 90. Um, same pressure. So it, it's, it's pretty straightforward. You don't need to watch a whole lot of videos. So you watch one of my videos on there and you'll be, you'll be pressure canning that day. I mean, if you have the equipment, it, it's and really he, easy. And I think you said before you uh, uh, making food for two, you, you like the pints. Especially with meat. A quart of meat is a lot of meat. So for two of us, uh, the I, I just don't can quarts of meat at all. I do all pints. And if, 
you know, if we need more meat, I just open more pints. But for the most part, a okay. meal for two people is usually a pint of meat. Okay. Uh, separate topic, uh, your sleep project. At one point in my life, I was, quote, a mattress professional. And I ran into a company called Kingsdown. Have you ever heard of them? No, but are, is, this, is this going to be about a mattress? No, it's about the guy they hired to create their Sleep to Live Institute, a Dr. Robert Oxman. Um, that might be a source for you if you're continuing to evolve your, your uh, sleep protocols. That might be somebody to look into. might even be somebody to talk to. I could try. And I'll, uh, send, I'll send yeah. you a link. I'll send yeah. you a link to support and, um, you know, you'll see his background. Yeah, I could try. I'm always open. I, I have gone through many, many sleep experts in the last couple of years, and I'm not finding much new. Um, there, there, so, but I'm always open. If there's somebody out there, maybe I'll learn one more thing about sleep. Um, I, I just haven't seen a lot of new stuff. Uh, I, I would love to find somebody, and I haven't found that person yet, that is so specialized the way Trina was with oral health and really, really figured out all the best solutions. Um, I'm almost wondering if that may end up being me someday if I keep down this path. Um, but we'll see. I, I'm always willing to check out somebody new. Alrighty, I'll send you a link. Thank you for the info. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's uh, let's go to Texas. BJ, welcome to the program. Oh, let me try that again. There we go. BJ, welcome. Hello. Oh, <laughs> how are you today? Good. What's on your mind? Good. Um, a question on the oral health. I got the kit. I have a friend that uh, has pretty bad halitosis, and I was wondering with this kit, if that is that something that is fixable or manageable with this, or if you need to talk Very to about that very much so in fact you don't need to do anything different follow the protocol and just the way it's laid out you know the morning routine the night routine within days you'll see improvements within a couple weeks even things like morning breath like almost everybody seems that that goes away it really is incredible because bad odor in our mouth is bad bacteria that that's it Right. If the odor originates in our mouth, it's bad bacteria. The whole point of the system is it fixes the bacteria. Fix the bacteria, bad breath goes away. There's one exception, and a lot of us deal with that exception because this, this bad breath doesn't come from your mouth. It comes from your lungs. It's keto breath. When you are into ketosis, oh. you are expelling ketones, and that's why we can use breath analyzers because they can pick up those ketones in our breath and it has a pretty awful smell. I can tell when I'm in ketosis and, and I you know realize no matter how clean I get my mouth and how good the bacteria is, that this odor isn't coming from my mouth, it's coming from my lungs. And, and I haven't really figured, parsley helps a little bit actually, just eating some raw parsley, not the curly stuff, but the flat Italian. Um, helps a little. So that that is one issue that you could have really, really good oral health and completely eliminate bad breath. You're still going to have some of those issues when you're expelling ketones. Okay. Uh, one other question. Uh, you had mentioned that you got a gas mask for you and Lisa. I was wondering which ones you got and 
with what filters or um, not only chemical, but um, any other kind of attack on us. Yeah, so um, I was actually, my secondary MOS in the military was actually a nuclear chemical and biological specialist. I, I went back to school, I was a crew chief, but I loved learning and there was an opening in the class, so I actually went um, and learned a lot. And, you know, I thought I had forgotten it all, but as I started to get back into the um, um, the gas mask stuff, I started to realize that... Um, I hadn't forgot it all. So the the company is called Mira Safety. Um, and I did. Yeah, I've seen them. Yeah. Um, right now, the filters I have and I, I'm doing a little more research again and going back through some of the stuff that I used to know. Um, I am using the, um, they're the NATO gas mask filters. They've got a really long shelf life. Um, it's the certified CBRN. This is going to cover you for most of the stuff we need to worry about. And they've, like I said, they've got uh, like a 20 year shelf life, um, the way they're packaged. So I'm trying to actually find the model of the, uh, the mask. I yeah, they have got. a CBRN and then they have another one with some numbers. I don't remember which one that was, but kind of back and forth. And I just, yeah, I'm like, I don't know which one we need. Yeah, I'm uh, like I say, I was trying to get to the mask itself, and I'm I ordered it, I guess, longer ago than I thought. Let me, yeah, I ended up. Oh, wait a minute, I can go to another page. I ended up buying the um, the filters later. I got the mask in first, I wanted to see it before uh -huh. I ordered filters. So I'm tr there, it is. Um, yeah, so it is the Mira Safety, the mask is. What is the model number on this thing? Uh, it's a CM-7M mask with drinking system. So that was something... Can you, re you cut out right when you said the number. Can you repeat that, please? Oh, yeah. CM-7M with drinking system. So that was one of the things okay. I remembered um, about being in the military and going through all that training because I had to spend a lot of time in a full mop suit and mask during the training and water became a really, really big issue. And I just started thinking, if you're in a situation where you have to wear this mask for hours and you can't take a drink, that's a problem. So that's right. why I went with the. It's got a, a built-in drinking system to the mask itself. Okay, and then the CBRN uh, filters? Correct. All right. That's all I have, Kevin. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Oop, looks like the call's piled up on us, too. So, um, Lauren, I've been talking an awful lot yeah. today. What's on your mind? <laughs> <laughs> Not much. I mean, a lot, but, uh, you know, just taking it all in. It was great yeah. to have Chris. Uh, well, one of my favorite things about, I, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that was part of the reason why I asked, because I know I talk a lot and Chris talks more than I do. I mean, it's always good, but he Chris, can just go and go and go and go. I know he, he definitely can. One of my, so I've been following Chris probably around the same time that I, that I got my, um, my certification as an FNTP and what I, like so much and appreciate about what he does is that he will take 
data from any kind of, you know, published study or anything like that. And he will digest it and break it down for you in a way that is so helpful. He'll poke holes in it and say, well, the reason that this, you know, doesn't make sense here is because of this. So I really appreciate the way that he can take all the data that, you know, that we have out there and we have all the tools and everything, but he'll actually go into each study and break it down so that not only you can understand, but it'll tell you whether or not their findings were relevant, which is so important, as you know. He really is uh, one of those clinicians that does a tremendous amount of reading. I mean, I read a lot. I don't even come close to the number of studies and you know, and, and because of what he does, he, he kind of has to. He, he's trained thousands of clinicians in 50 countries. So think of all the different issues he deals with. Like I said, we're, we're so fortunate that I, I don't read a ton of research anymore. If I, you know, mm-hmm. if I need to, when I, when I'm working on stress or sleep or, you know, the next area I'm going to work on. Um, and I'm going to continue on stress and sleep, but I, I'm to the point where a lot more research isn't doing me any good. Now it's just more testing and, you know, trying to find what's going to work in the real world for our tribe. Uh, and I'm confident I will. Mm-hmm. I'll get there. But the next area I'm excited about going to, to work on, this whole oral thing is, is so incredible. I'm going to work on eyesight. I'm going to see if there is a way to improve people's eyesight, including my own. Maybe Maybe we don't need to start wearing glasses just because we made it 40 laps around the sun. Oh, I love that you're interested in that. Years ago, I actually came across some really great information on that. So I, let me see if I can dig it up or at least yeah. get you, um, you know, some to, to start on. But yeah. that, that would be wonderful. What I is there was a, uh, you know, a doctor who figured out a way to reverse it by strengthening um, you know, the, the eye muscles and whatnot right. and use, you know, taking off your glasses here and there, which is what I try to do in order to strengthen. Um, but yeah, I, I love that, that, that you're interested in that. And I know that there's information out there. Yeah. And I've heard story. I, we have tribe members who said that just by doing all the stuff we talked about, their eyesight improved. And I haven't had that happen. One of the reasons I think for me is I, I don't believe that we are designed as human beings to do all this reading. I think reading has all the reading I've done in my life has been very detrimental to my eyes. I know. <laughs> it's a I shame. Agree. I mean, I, I'm actually looking at now using more audio. You know, when I'm working and when I'm researching, I'm going to try to use more audio and AI is going to help me do that. So I don't have to read yeah. everything because I know it's hard on my eyes. That That's not good for us as humans. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you as much as I love reading and, as, and the amount of reading that I do. Um, I completely agree. I think it's it's horrible for our eyesight. We're supposed to be outside looking at things from afar, shifting our eyes constantly near and far. And yeah, I agree. And then reading on a, on a screen, I think is even worse. It is. The light is awful. And I read on, I go from a laptop to a phone, to a Kindle. I am reading on screens all day long and I know it's not good for my eyesight and my stress levels. So I'm going to start working on that. And I also know that if I'm going to make any improvements in my eyes, 
it's probably going to take a really strict protocol of, you know, me taking off the glasses, doing eye exercises to strengthen the muscles and trying to minimize my screen time somehow. You know, I, I, I've given up news almost completely now. I said I was going to do it on the weekends. And then I said, you know, I'll do less in the week. And I realized in the last month, I have hardly watched any news and I like it. But what that does is it, um, even the TV is probably better for my eyes because it's farther away. It's a different distance. But if I watch less TV, I tend to be on the laptop more, either reading more, researching more. So I, I'm going to have to take a pretty uh, intense approach to this, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm going to have to dig this up because it's been years since I've researched it. I'm wondering if maybe I saved some of that content. But I did come across someone who, you know, said to, you know, exercise your vision by, you know, removing the contacts and the glasses. One of the things that I've come across lately that is quite startling because I, I go back and forth between contacts and glasses is they've done studies on the PUFAs in contact lenses, soft contact lenses, and it's so high. Oh, no way. I would, you know, oh, you don't even think about some of this stuff. You mentioned PUFAs, um, and for people who aren't aware, what we're really talking about are seed oils, uh, are the worst offenders for our bad fats. I saw something the other day, and I need to go research this. I know it won't take me long. I never thought about this. I've been talking lately about the change that I don't burn as much as I used to, that I now spend, you know, much, much more time out in the sun with skin exposed and I'm not burning like I used to. I never would have been able to do that. And I posted about it the other day and somebody responded, somebody not in the tribe and somebody I didn't know, they're actually a practitioner, um, responded by saying that's seed oils. By eliminating seed oils, I, I didn't realize that. I had never come across that. By eliminating seed oils and increasing your amount of um, omega fatty acids, Which, both of those right. uh, will drastically change the, uh, the amount, like the, the way that your skin handles the sun. Yeah. It's, it's very fascinating. <laughs> it, it is fascinating. Like, you know, we didn't know we could heal a cavity. I didn't know that I didn't have to burn so easy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, yeah, so- I, was, I was creating a list of, maybe I'll post... Um, you know, some bullet points that I've come across because I was going to do the next um, after hours on the sun and sunscreen and how to avoid getting sunburned and things like that. So maybe I'll just, I'll just put that up on, uh, on Healthy Tribe this week. I'll just put like some bullet points of ways to kind of keep your body from burning and, and you know, what to do because you're well, absolutely right. That is one that no one, no one thinks about. Uh, nobody. And here's the thing. Now I get it why it's working for me. I have zero seed oils in my diet. I don't go anywhere near seed oils and because we hardly ever eat out anymore. I'm not even being exposed there. And I have an excellent fat balance between the good quality seafood I eat, all the beef is pastured that raises the omega-3. So it's no wonder it's working for me. I'm almost... I don't want to say perfect in that area, but I'm pretty damn close. Yeah. I mean, staying away from restaurants is the number one way to stay away from those things because you're not going to be cooking with them. Correct. Right. You shouldn't have them anywhere near your house, but every restaurant uses them. Every restaurant. You can't get away from it. I, 
I'm even convinced that when you go to a nice Italian restaurant. Oh, you, you don't get olive oil. Forget olive oil. it. No. No, I don't think you No, you're not getting olive oil at those places. At at best, you might be getting a poor quality blend, but even they don't know what they're getting. People don't realize that, you know, um, Lisa was a restaurant consultant. She knows all this stuff. Restaurants don't know what they're getting a lot of times in product. You can't tell one oil from another. They, A lot of people can't tell one fish from another. The fish you're eating on the menu a lot of times is not really the fish you think you're eating. And the restaurant doesn't even know it. Oh, that's so true. That happens a lot with fish. You think you're eating one species of fish and you're not, and the restaurant doesn't know it either. They have it on the menu as red snapper, and it's really not red snapper. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I hardly order fish out because of that, unless it's a place that I know living in Florida, they right. know exactly where they're getting their fish fresh every single day. And I know when I look at it, what I'm getting. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's, Oh, I had, Oh, I know what. So I keep thinking it, if we can heal cavities, if I can improve my eyesight, if I can tan better, we know all of those things are possible. We never used to think those are possible. Is it too much to think I might still be able to grow taller? <laughs> is, I don't know. <laughs> is, is that too much of a stretch? No pun intended. Maybe. Um, maybe. 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 <laughs> maybe if you had like a rolfing series, you might gain a couple inches. I, you of know, like uh, a full body separation, like workup. I, I I do hang upside down if that helps. Oh, that definitely yes. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Well, I'll work on it. We'll see. Let's go to South Carolina. Terrence, welcome to the program. Well, what's up, Kev? What's up, Lauren? So I got a couple of things. First thing, like uh, I go fishing. I live in South Carolina, so I go out on a boat. Not my boat, a big boat. So I know what I'm eating when I catch it there, and I usually bring it right home and eat it that night or the next night. There's nothing like that. So, but uh, oh, yeah, we got a that. place in our thing up in Com up up in Conway, and it's like uh, one of them farm to table restaurants. A little expensive, but the food there is, you know, like I said, you don't know what kind of oils they're putting on it, but like they have all sorts of different types of fish. They, you know, they won't have the same thing all the time. They they ro- like it's a rotation. So I'm kind of thinking it's it's good quality, but like you said, you don't you don't they don't even know. But this this place seems like it is. You know, he ha- he has an idea about it. Right. But now, the reason why I called, and then you came up with something else to give me another thing. So, the reason why I called was about the dental kit. But a real thing about the yogurt, which we haven't been talking about much lately. So, I finally got to where I was able, I got in a routine where I'm keeping my yogurt while I'm making it so I, I don't run out. So, I still was struggling with a little bit of uh, toe fungus, you know, just on my big toes. That was it. I mean, that's from drinking beer on the weekend or whatever. Whatever, you know, whatever, whatever was doing it. it. But I've been on the yoga for almost a month and a half now, and my toe fungus is completely gone. Nice. Wow. Yeah, so, that's awesome. And that's the El Ruderide, yeah. So it's like, I'm like, I, I you know, and, 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 and just, the, just the, the way I feel, too, you doing that. The other thing, too, is I got a lot of doing my floors in my house. I'm doing the, I'm not doing that. Someone's doing it. And it, the, the, the shitty work has just got me so frustrated. You know, you got to look over people's shoulders. 
and it's been irking me, so I haven't been sleeping good. But I, since I started, I started with that copper and the silver. For some reason, like I'll get up in the morning and I'll have like a four hours sleep, if that, and my stress level is still down low. And when I get up, I'm not, you know, you think I would be tired after being up for 20 hours and, you know, only getting four hours and right. getting up in the morning. I don't feel I'm not exhausted. Like I said, my body battery shows me I should be, you know, falling over or going to sleep. But so I, I don't know if it's that copper and the silver, but ever since I, I've been on that for like a week and a half now. And this is my stress level. I don't know if you noticed that with yours, but you've been biohacking. So you probably, I, yeah, I've been didn't really get into that. Right. I've been back and forth too much on the, uh, the copper and the silver and I'm not doing any dailies right now. So, um, I don't, that's interesting though, to think that maybe I'll go back to that here in a little bit when I finish up a couple other things and, and try that. And here's the main reason why I called was now I'm doing that with the, the, the copper and the silver and also the, the new dental thing. I do that. I brush my teeth in the morning, obviously. And then before I leave, you know, I do the, the cop and the silver. I'm wondering if that has any effect on the dental end of it. Um, mean? So what what copper and silver products are you taking? Uh-oh. Did we lose him? Terrence, did we lose me? I'm thinking it's oh, one for there the... we go. No. Sure. So... So are you using like like the daily oral spray? No, I'm using the one where you take a tablespoon. I think okay. I, forget, I forget which one it is. I, so the teaspoon of one, and I'm only doing the one dose of each. Yeah, a day. so that's it. Both copper and silver are powerful antifungals, antibacterials, anti uh, anti a lot of things. I mean, super powerful. Uh, so much so that we we thought we needed to be kind of careful with them because they might kill everything, but it turns out they don't. So yeah, that those okay. could be playing a role by by killing off more bad bacteria, but not really harming the good. Okay, I was just wondering if you because you said you were going to talk to I forget her name, the one with the, the dental thing. If Trina, that might be a question for her. Yeah, Trina, you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah, that that would be, but knowing what I know about both copper and silver, that would make sense. Okay, so I shouldn't. I won't, don't really worry about it. No, I no. just didn't want to be doing one thing good, you know. And I know it's, I know it wouldn't be bad, but you know, I don't know if it was gonna. If I should wait till the middle of the day and take well, and, the and copper and silver. It, it, and all. I, I can tell you that we could. It won't take long to test this theory because if you're doing the morning and daily routine, you should see improvements in every aspect of your oral health in less than two weeks. And if you weren't seeing the improvements, right, right. then I would stop the copper and silver for a while and see if it changes it, but I don't think it's going to. Yeah, because here's the thing. I haven't been to, I mean, it's a shame to say, I haven't been to dentist since 2020. I know. When COVID no, right. started. Yeah. And, and so, so here's the thing. Hope I have dental through work, which I'm probably going to give up eventually, but. I, um, I'm like, when I go back, I'm going to get, like to have my x-rays from three years ago. I want to see when I do finish this kit and then make an appointment down the road to see if it changed. Right. Cause they'll be able to tell bone loss and all that stuff in that, on that thing. So if I get that info, I will definitely share it. Good. Good. So, all right. I'll let someone else get in there. All right. Oh, and by the way, the, the almond butter, the almond butter is unbelievable. Isn't that stuff crazy? <laughs> 
Have you? Have you? Have yeah, you, Kevin, that that should be outlawed. Have you put it on monkey brittle yet? That is should be outlawed. Yes, I. Yes, I have. Here's the funny part. So my 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 fiance said they they told she had high cholesterol, so she doesn't want to listen. So she's eating oatmeal, and I'm like, all right, listen, I'm not gonna. I I can't exhaust. I'm exhausted right. saying it anymore. So she goes, what's this stuff in the in the, in the cabinet here? I said, oh, that's the almond butter with maple and cinnamon. She goes, oh, maybe I'll put that in my oatmeal. I was like, you can find, just try yeah. it, you know. Yeah. So she, other days, like, this stuff's unbelievable. I was like, yeah, well, this, I said, it, I told her, I said, I had to get the dig. I said, it'd be even better without on oatmeal. Yeah. <laughs> but that didn't go over too well. <laughs> I yeah. tried. I had to throw it in there, you know. You, you know, we, we know it's better to eliminate <laughs> foods, but you've tried. And if you can't get her to eliminate foods, you might as well add some good stuff in. Absolutely. All right, that's something else good in there. Thanks, Kevin. All right, thanks for the call. Uh, uh, Lauren, have you done the, I know we've talked about this, but I can't, have you done the nut butter on the monkey brittle yet? Have, I have. And it, I agree that the, the nut butter with the cinnamon maple. Yes, oh on, on monkey brittle. <laughs> Isn't it like the most decadent dessert you've ever had? It really is. I have some right now in one of my cabinets. Yeah. It's tempting me to go get I know. I know. It's absolutely crazy how good oh. that is. It really is. It's yeah. so great. I know. Let's uh, let's go to Mississippi. Mark, welcome to the program. Uh, good morning. Uh, so when Paul called in, he was talking about sleep. Uh, I was talking to him last night when he ended the day, and then I, I went – I got to bed last night in Grand Bay about one, and I could drive this morning about ten thirty ish. So I just set my alarm for like nine thirty, but then a telemarketer called at eight thirty and woke me up. But I was sleeping really, really good. And normally I don't like to work overnights, but I work until I get to a point that's strategic for today. And but I don't set an alarm most of the time because I just feel like I'm going to let my body sleep until it wants to wake up because there's nothing more irritating. Like Monday morning, I got for a rip, or on, on rip, Monday morning, I got up at 4 a.m. to start my day. And I did that because I just, I felt I needed to. And it's the most irritating thing in the world is when you're sleeping well and the alarm goes off. It's like, and I don't like that. Uh, but I, I, I feel like that you should sleep when you need to sleep overnight. Uh, and speaking of uh, eye vision, I last year, last late last fall, I bought this product from Pure Wave Life. It's a P PME PEMF mat. And I sleep on it at night. And I run it for thirty minutes at night, thirty minutes in the morning, and uh, it's supposed to uh, decrease ion ion transport and eliminate electro. Uh, electro smog in the body and it's supposed to help with sleep and it also one of the things they said that uh, it'll uh, it can improve your eyesight now I, I, this is strictly i guess correlation maybe not causation but my eyes did get better the last time i went to the eye, eye uh, to get a check because my glasses aren't working right and i went back and she checked and she goes your eyes improved. I didn't go into the reason why or whatever. Right. But I did notice on, on the eyesight that when you do eliminate all the glucose and all that, it, things seem to get better. Things seem to focus better. But my eyes did get better, which is almost unheard of. My, it's, a, it's a weaker prescription. And 
I, I don't know if it's the PEMF mat or not. I mean, so PEMF. Go ahead. Yeah, let me address that. Pulse electromagnetic frequencies is a very proven technology. Uh, it's similar yeah. uh, to the light therapy, has some crossover benefits, but has other different benefits. Um, kind of similar to grounding uh, as well, some of those plus more. So PEMF is, is an absolute proven technology. I believe in it. Um, I haven't incorporated it yet simply because uh, I kind of looked at it as a, 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 like even part of the sleep and stress protocol, it could work. I, I kind of went with the light therapy. I didn't think anybody was going to go for both. You know, you've got ex the PEMF is expensive. Um, if you're, if you've that's, got that's a, very expensive, yeah. uh, it's the tax write off. I mean, my, my accountant says, yeah, you can write that off the health on your taxes. That's why one of the reasons. I, okay. And it, 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 it takes your blood, uh, the blood, the cells in your blood makes them where they don't stick together because of, it changes the, the structure of the water actually it, it, it too. the structure. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, it's the, the, it, it makes them where when you get all this electronic, electric smog or whatever, your blood gets thicker. Well, it thins your blood. There, there they, are a lot of benefits. That under microscopes. Yeah, there are a lot of benefits. It is a proven technology. Like I said, I just felt like it, it was trying to use both infrared light therapy and PEMF seemed to be too much, too much money, too much time, too many devices. So I kind of made a decision, but I... I believe that that PMF is just as powerful in different ways. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I did buy that, that, that blanket last year and I, I, I didn't realize how bulky it was. And in a car hauler, I'm like, yeah, this ain't gonna work in here. Oh yeah. I'm limited on space. Whereas right. this, this mat here can roll up. It comes with a bag. You can portable, you can take it to where you want to. Cause I can roll it up and put it at the corner. It doesn't take up much space. So, you know, there's you, sometimes you have to give and take because oh, absolutely. You have space concerns. And all no, that. that that was but a good that, choice. That blanket on your part. was like I rolled it out. I, I was I was like I looked at that. I rolled it out. I put it on a bed. I'm like I, I'm, I was shocked at how big the box was. And like in a car hauler because it's like low roof and all like that. Like, yeah, that's just not practical. I mean, I'm cramped for space as it is. So, you know, uh, but uh, uh, on another note. I've got. I'm going back in uh, early August the 10th uh, back to California, and uh, I got. I have a permit to go back up Mount Whitney, so that's. I plan to do it in a couple of days instead of trying to do do that 22 mile round trip in one day. I'm gonna. I'm gonna camp it. So I intend to get up there and get back down. So there you go. Uh, told you about. Told you I went last year and got six miles in, and then I, I'm gonna ride up to Yosemite, spend a day or two up there. And, yeah. Uh, and, and that would not be possible. I mean, this in, in a couple of weeks it'll be in like in like yeah, two weeks it'll be three years since I've I've drank and it's everything's gotten better and it's just you know I wouldn't have gone up a mountain or whatever if I hadn't quit drinking. So, yep. Uh, you know, it's just and, and it's like that that gentleman that called earlier and talking about going up two thousand feet. Well. You go up and you start looking back down and like I did Mount Elbert was the first one I did and I did that. I had no idea what I was doing. I just got up on a Saturday morning and people are nice. You start meeting people along the trail and it's like you start talking and, and you know, you, you look back and you're like, 
holy crap, I'm up here. And you just keep going. And, yeah. You know, it's just like one step, one step at a time, just like anything else you do. And, you, you'll, you know, you'll do it. And it's like when I was going up with me last year, I was like, well, I don't think I'm going to make it, but I pressed on and I got to the point where I got to go back. I got to go back. Everything's wrong, wrong clothes, wrong shoes. You know, it's like wrong equipment. I mean, it's just, it's little things. And then I'm like, at that point, I've decided I will be back. You know, so, you know, it's kind of cool because oh, yeah. uh, it just, you, you go up there and you just look back and you're like, you, you see that and just, it makes everything kind of, I don't know. It's, it's a very peaceful feeling out there. It's just oh, like yeah. you don't have any, uh, yeah. you don't have any contact with the outside world basically because, you know, you're just no cell phone signal and it's just, it's you out there and your thoughts. And then you, I mean, you, a lot of stuff goes through your mind on, you know, on there. And it's like, you just have to like, it's, it's, it's as much mental as it is physical, I think. So no doubt, you know, uh, I, I, I just saw a video and I've seen this before, but I just watched a new video from this season and it seems like it's just getting worse. Um, the idea of climbing Mount Everest, I, not something I would ever think about doing. I have a horrible fear of heights. I try all the time to get over it. Um, I've made a little bit of progress, but I, I'm not going to go rock climbing. It's just not going to happen. So, but I always thought of that as this big spiritual journey. You know, you're going to the highest point on the planet. So few people have ever done it. And except you watch a video nowadays and they showed base camp. My God, I think there were more people there than on Disney on Christmas Day. People just everywhere, tents and people and equipment all over the place. And then to get up to the top, is like a line for the newest ride at an amusement park. It is just solid people in a line going to the top of Mount Everest. Uh, that sucks. <laughs> last last year, last year when I did when I went to uh, Mount Whitney, uh, I had three extra passes, and I got on this group, Facebook group, and two people two people claimed them. And well, this one couple from Toronto, they like three or four or five years ago. They went to, they they hiked to base camp. They didn't go to climb the mountain. They just, I right. think it's a big thing to just go and go the trail and spend the week and go to base camp because that's a well, journey and it's not on. And she's like, that's one of the hardest things they ever did. But they didn't, they didn't go to climb, go to the summit. They just went to go to base camp because well, from that in itself is a, is, is a huge journey from, from base camp yeah. to the peak looks like a day at disney there's so many damn people and it is literally a single yeah. file line of solid people from base camp that. to the top that's awful yeah. i know yeah 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 and and if there it's littered with people if you go up there and you don't make it they're not going to bring you back oh, down. No, they're, they're, that's your grade. Yeah, there's dead bodies all over up there. Yeah, no doubt. But I, I just thought yeah. the the whole idea, I thought it was should be more spiritual. And uh, like I said, it just looks like a bad day at an amusement park. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know. I, I love being outside. And that's. Uh, why I'd live here in the gorge and uh, I'm back to monitoring my favorite website, which is the title of the website is the gorge is my gym, which I absolutely love. And this woman just reports on all the conditions, hiking, mountain biking, 
all the wind sports on the river, the wind sports up on the mountain in the wintertime just does a great job of predicting all the conditions because they, they change so fast through the gorge. So like three miles can make a huge difference on some days. One spot you don't want to be in at all. Three miles down the river, the conditions are just ripping exactly what you're looking for. That's how volatile it is through the gorge. Uh, but I, I have set my date um, this Sunday. We're supposed to have good, steady winds in uh, pr- good, steady, strong winds, 25 to 30 knots. Just about mid-afternoon, which is peak, which will be nice because the water is uh, 59 degrees, I think, still. So the water's very cold. But uh, Sunday, I think, may be my first day out on the river this year. Awesome. I can't wait yeah, to hear we'll, about it. We'll see. I'm not going unless conditions are near perfect. Um, with that kind of cold yeah. weather, and I'm still not, I, I still need a lot of practice on a lot of things. I just don't want to go out on a bad day and be cold because it's going to be cold. So looking like we Sunday might be the day. Um, There was actually a couple days this week, yesterday and the day before, I might have been able to pull it off, but uh, just too much going on. Yeah. How's the garden? Is there any big updates? The garden is incredible. I am blown away by the garden this year and what I've already accomplished this early and what I'm going to end up with. I I am my theme this year because I have everything so under control right now and everything's planted early. I've got a good start on all my uh, pepper and tomato plants. I'm going to start planting beans here in the grow house. I'm going to start normally I just put beans straight into the ground. But I'm really looking mm-hmm. at maximizing the entire year. And I'm, I'm really working out really good crop rotation schedules so that there will be something in the ground all year long. And I'll, I'll, so, okay. so the beans should be going into the ground probably this week. We're hitting temperatures where it would be a good time to start planting beans. They need a lot of heat. They don't like cold nights think we're almost over that. So it would be about time, except there's very, there's no room in my garden right now. Everything's accounted for. I can't put, I've got a big open area, but tomatoes are going in there. Got another big area that just came open and, and uh, peppers have to go in there. So I want to get beans in the ground, but there's no room yet. I have to wait until all the onions come out. So, um, and then cabbage will come out and then peas will come out and I'll have a ton of space. But by the time that all happens, it'll be a little late for the beans. I'd still be able to grow beans just fine, but it would push me too far back into the fall. I wouldn't be able to get the garlic and onions planted on time again. So in order to maximize this and make this work, I'll start the beans like this evening. I may even start planting beads in little seed pods and then I'll just keep transferring them up to cups until I can get some stuff out of the ground. And then these bean plants will be ready to go right into the ground and I'll be that far ahead. So uh, I am excited. I've never been this organized. I've never had so much planted. I've never had it all worked out so that as soon as something comes out, something else is going right back in. Uh, 
I am, I, we're, we've harvested peas several times. I'm harvesting spring onions every day. I'm finally finished with asparagus. I'm going to stop harvesting that. I've got another huge crop of peas that will be coming in the next couple of days. Uh, cabbage won't be far behind that. Um, like I said, we're harvesting spring onions every day. Garlic scapes probably going to be next week. And then garlic probably two weeks after that. So it is. And then I have flowers everywhere. You would not believe how many flowers I have got in the garden this year. And then Lisa's doing a ton of flowers too. So between the two of us doing flowers, they are just everywhere. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I saw the the ones that you picked. Those were incredible. You have such an assortment, so many different colors. And all of those, there was only one, there were only two types of flowers in there. And actually there was only one flower itself that was actually different. All of those other little flowers, those are all zinnias, just all different varieties and colors of zinnias. Wow. They're beautiful. I, I They make such great cut flowers. And I cut that like a week ago and I had it in the house for a while. It was sitting on Lisa's desk for a while. And then I we moved them outside and they're just in a mason jar with water. They're outside. They still look just like they did when I took the picture. Oh, that's amazing. I can't believe how long they're lasting. So yeah, we're, we're going to, and the other thing about that Zinnia, um, a lot of the varieties that I chose are what are called cut and come again. So the more you cut the flowers, the more they grow. Wow. Yeah. So you, we could have cut flowers all summer long with everything I've got growing. We could have vases of cut flowers all over the place. And the more we cut them, the more they grow. Very neat. Yeah. So what else is going on? I got a lot of really, really good stuff going on. Um, Everything is just thriving and it's way, oh, here's something I'm, I'm learning this year. So we have almost ideal growing conditions here, as long as you can provide water, because we have a very, very, very dry, low humidity summer. So the plants need a lot of water. As long as you can do that, we have almost ideal conditions with one exception. Mm-hmm. It, what we were just talking about before we started talking about gardening, 30 knot winds. Oh, yeah. The wind oh, here is brutal. So I, I, I'm learning techniques, actually. So I plant tighter. You know, if, if a plant says it should oh. be spaced six inches apart, we I do them four inches. Peas should be two inches. I plant my peas one inch away from each other. So when you pack them in tighter, then they can help support each other. So you lose a little bit of yield if you crowd plants too much, but I actually gain yield because of the wind being such a big factor. So that's one issue. The other one was learning which plants are more susceptible to the wind and which ones are stressed by wind and finding lower wind places in the garden. Even that little bit can make a difference. But here's one. Um, I didn't know if this was going to work or not. I almost came across this accidentally. I have the um, I have those stands with the grow lights in the room. Have you seen the pictures of those? So it's like three yeah. three levels of lights, almost like a bookcase looking thing with three shelves and lights above each shelf. And I'm constantly moving things in and out and moving them around and adjusting the height of the lights. And I had put a bunch of peppers in the bottom 
and I had lowered the lights down pretty low, got them real close to the plants. And I got busy and, and had kind of forgotten about them. Peppers don't need watered a lot. And they're at the bottom and the, the light was so low, I couldn't even really see the plants unless I got down on my hands and knees and looked under it or raised the light up. And it went about a week and the, the plants were growing and I had already had the light too really close to them. It got so close that I could actually see some light damage on the leaves themselves which was a bad thing, wasn't horrible, but I realized something else. The plants themselves grew really, really short and sturdy with a lot of branches. Whereas when I put oh. the light, the, the recommended distance away from them, I got much taller plants with thinner stems and not as many branches. So these mm -hmm. short, sturdy plants should hold up to the wind much, much better. So now my strategy is I keep the lights so close that I do see a little bit of light damage on them every day, just a little, but they are growing really, really short and sturdy with a lot of branches. Oh, that's really interesting. And then on tomato oh. plants, I developed another strategy. And this is just, this one wasn't on accident. This is just known about tomatoes. So um, a lot of people don't know this. You, you go to the, you know, go to the nursery or Lowe's or wherever right now and buy their tomato plants. It, they, they might even have them in like half gallon pots right now. And they're really big. Um, you know, you, mm -hmm. you can take, say, a three foot tomato plant and maybe it's got I don't know, altogether, maybe there's like 10 branches coming off the sides. You could take and cut all eight of those branches from the top down, leave the top couple of branches with leaves on them, cut everything else, have this big, long stem, and then you bury that stem completely. Only leave the top of the tomato plant sticking out of the dirt. And in some places, okay. you can't even dig deep enough. You actually kind of have to dig a diagonal trench and kind of lay it in there. But what that does is tomatoes uh -huh. are one of the few plants that when you bury that stem, that stem becomes the root and it will send out roots from that whole stem. So my strategy wow. is I start tomatoes in a little seed pod. As soon as they get their first true leaf, it goes into a bigger cup. When, when it gets root bound in that cup, I trim everything off the stem and I bury it deep into a bigger cup with with nothing but the top couple of leaves sticking out. And if it gets and I started them early enough, I'm I still have all my tomatoes in cups and I have these big, big, deep um, cups. They're not very wide, four inch, I think, but they're deep, really, really deep, like over a foot. And the tomatoes now will come out of that. And when I go to bury them in the ground, I'm going to have over three feet of stem that's got to get buried. Now, when that tomato comes out of the ground, the base of that tomato is as big around as my thumb or bigger, and it will be really strong and rooted so the wind doesn't affect it as much. Huh. Very cool. Yeah. Now, you can use that technique if you use what are called indeterminate varieties of tomatoes. Indeterminates never stop growing. They're not really an annual. So as long as you have the right growing conditions, they will just keep growing and growing and growing and producing more and more tomatoes. I don't use those here. If I were to use the technique I just described, I could grow 12 foot tomato plants. 
Wow. But I can't, there's, I, I would have to have scaffolding to support a 12 foot tomato plant in these winds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I do what are called determinant tomatoes. So they, they act like most vegetables, you know, most vegetables have a very finite time, a life you, and, and you can put it in, it's going to germinate in this many days. It's going to mature in this many days. It's going to produce fruit for this many days, and then it's going to die on, on right around this day. And if you're consistent with your care and your varieties, you can take that to the bank. I mean, you, you will be within days of all of those dates. That's how a determinant tomato would work. It'll grow until its time is over and then it dies. So when I use this technique on those, I get short, stocky plants that produce a lot and hold up to the wind really well. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you figured out your little recipe for making it work where you are. Yeah, that's really what I've been focused on. I, you know, everything else I could learn from somebody else. I just wasn't finding a lot of strategies for crazy kind of winds like we have. It's such an unusual place. It's why we're the, you know, kiteboarding capital of the world, because we have these crazy winds that nobody else has to deal with. Yeah. Huh. All right, let's, uh, let's grab another call. We've got one. Herschel, welcome. Hey, Kevin. What's on your mind today? Well, I, got, I know. Here we're, well, I know. Here we go again. <laughs> oh, damn. Well, you know, the, this winter was this winter was really dark. Brutal. And I, I, I agree. Kinda, it was for me, too. I kind of, yeah, so I got that put aside. So day to day, I'm okay day to day. But now here we are at summer. And... The last time I went on a vacation was 2001, the Daytona 500, when I watched my hero, Dale Earnhardt, die. That was the true last vacation, if you will. You need one I bad. haven't been on one since. We're, 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 I know. We're officially but, prescribing a vacation for you. Well, that's all fine. You know, and <laughs> everybody that knows me can call me and tell me, just do it, dumbass. But it's not going to matter because in my head... I don't deserve it. I'm not allowed. No, you don't do enough. You worthless pile of shit. Every year in the summertime, it gets a little worse. The World of Outlaw Sprint Cars was at my local track 15 minutes from my house this last weekend. And I didn't go. I didn't feel like I deserved to go. Nope. Don't do it. Okay, here's what you got to do. Because if I did, I'd just, I'd, just, I'd just be miserable the entire time and feel guilty about it. What in the beep is wrong with me? You're thinking too much. Stop it. <laughs> Seriously. I agree. Do it. Stop Everyone thinking about it. Ugh. So, so I, I, will, I, I, I will tell you, there was a time in my life where I was so busy. I owned the trucks. They weren't a lot of work, but there was still work. And I was, this was a time where I was still driving occasionally. I'd fill in on vacations and days off for my drivers and sick days or whatever, or do a little extra work if they needed me to. So I was still driving. I had the accounting company, which we were doing all of the accounting and the tax work in-house. That meant I was doing a lot of that. And I was coaching wrestling a lot. So my days were just slammed full 
And I got to the point where I was the same way. God, I can't take a vacation. What's going to happen to all this stuff? And it started to affect my mental health in very negative ways. And I got to the point where I said, not only am I taking vacations, they will not be shorter than 21 days. And there's a, there's a reason for the, the length. The length of time we get away from this modern world can have a, a bigger impact if we do it right. And for me, it was 21 days. I'm, I, 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 when I quit work and I'm taking a vacation, I am not doing any work for 21 days. I'm not checking in. I'm not checking email. It took me six months to prepare for the first time I did it. But at the time, it, it saved me. And it made me much, much more effective at everything I did. I got to that point where you were. You're burnt out. You don't care about anything anymore. You're just forcing yourself to get through the days, and it's miserable. And it took a 21-day reset every year to get me out of that funk. And I did that for many years. I don't need to do that anymore because I have kind of created a life that is like, being on being working hard but being on vacation all the time when i get done i can go hike the gorge i can go wing foil which is a blast i can spend the rest of the day out in the garden which i love um so i I don't need those big long vacations anymore we just took we, we actually booked a place over on the ocean for a week and we looked at real estate and when we kind of got done looking at real estate we were two days short of our week we left we came home early because I, I really didn't need the break anymore. I, I've designed my life to kind of be like a big vacation and it's helping a lot. So pick some sort of a strategy that you have got to give yourself a break from where you're at. You, you just have to. Hmm. Well, as the old saying goes, it's easier said than done. Stop thinking. You just did it again. You thought of the old saying, stop thinking, just do. Oh, well, that is what Tom Cruise said in Maverick. So what the hell? Yeah. You ever seen that movie? That was a good one. I haven't seen that movie, but um, I agree with the sentiment. Oh, you got to. You got to. That one, that one was pretty good. Yes. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes you need to stop doing and you need to stop thinking and just be. We are human beings. Mm. Okay. I, 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 don't, I don't care if, if you, think, do. you think you deserve it or not. That is totally besides the point. It has nothing to do with anything. Well, that goes back to the perfection that was drilled in my head as a child for years. But do, do you realize, when I say this, I'm going to get a ton of feedback and I'm going to tell people right now, don't send me these emails because you're wrong. I'm going to tell, I'm right about this. You're wrong if you send me an email about this and people get pissed off about this. Perfection is the lowest standard. Never heard that before. It is the lowest standard because it's not achievable. It's an excuse to not do anything. Well, I'm not going to do that because I can't do it perfect. I'm a perfectionist. I don't take, I don't do something unless it's worth doing perfect. No, that's the lowest standard there is. It's a cop out. It will stop you from doing everything. I don't use that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Everybody, everybody responds this way to me. Everybody. So I know you're all full of shit. 
every perfectionist well, or every person who told me they were a perfectionist or they were raised by a perfectionist, when I tell them that story, they all say the same thing. Oh, no, that's not me. You're all full of shit. It is you. Because well, you all say this. With my digestive problems, I am full of shit. Yeah, because <laughs> you're because you're overthinking all of this stuff because you're a perfectionist, and that's causing stress, and stress will wreck your digestion. <clears throat> okay. Stop thinking. Just be. I'll and, let you go because I'm gonna I'm gonna lose signal here in about two miles. I know I am. All right, we'll let you go. Stop thinking. Just take a break. Go go to the races. Go hang out at the races. Buy a pit pass. Whatever. Treat yourself. I don't care if you deserve it. It's got nothing to do with I anything. I agree. It, it, you come back reset, and all the rest of the work that you do benefits from taking a break. So when people say that they don't deserve the break, they don't have time for it, believe it or not, it is a positive for all of the the work that you do, you have a break, you come back refreshed and energized with a different perspective. It's so healthy. It is. Important. And, and there there are two things that I call the curse of the entrepreneur. This is one of them. The curse of the entrepreneur, we don't think we can take time off. We're too important. Our job's too important. Our business is too important. It's the opposite. We have to take time off and then we'll get better at everything. The other curse of the entrepreneur is... Um, we tend not to be really good at managing expenses sometimes because we're so egotistical that we can just go out and earn more money. I've fallen into that trap many times. That's why I focus so hard on expenses because if I don't, I'll ignore them and go, ah, I don't care. I just go make more money. That's how entrepreneurs think. Um, let's go to Arkansas. Mike, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Hi, um, about three years ago was the first time I met with Dr. Wilson, and you know it was pretty professional with him. And the next year, uh, more personable. He remembers you from the year before, right? And then uh, this year I go in there, and uh, he was he was in the lobby, and I walked in there, and he goes, "Mike, come on back." <laughs> hey, I just spent about a week with one of your friends, and I said, "One of my friends." He goes, yeah, Kevin Rutherford, I guess in Vegas or something like that. Oh, yeah, we had, we had a great time in <laughs> Vegas. Yeah, and so you know how it is when you, you, you truly think that you get along and you know somebody pretty well, but it's always nice to hear a little reinforcement. Yeah. Boy, I'll tell you what, you, you're going to have a big hit after I tell you how much he bragged about you. <laughs> Man, uh, you, you got a friendship there, buddy. Uh, he's an amazing guy, he really is. It really, really is so, yeah. so genuine, so sincere. Yeah. You, you realize he is one of the people who became a doctor for one reason. He wants to help people and he realized he wasn't helping people the way he should have been. And uh, you know how, what his system is like now. It's incredible. Yeah. And, and you know, the amazing thing is how he remembers you. Of course, I'm pretty hard to forget once you meet me, but uh, <laughs> that's right. Uh, uh, last year, he 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 put in there. He's got he's got a sense of humor about him. He put in there, you know, I take this, you know, take this supplement, this supplement, do this, this, and this, and and then he wrote some. I forget what it was. Some Rottnile razor, something like that. Not what is that? So I googled it. It's a. We're talking about mountain biking. Oh, okay. It's a, 
$15,000 electric mountain bike. <laughs> Buy one of these. <laughs> oh, I'll bet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, and the day, and then he said, when I seen him this year, he said, he, he said, do you ever get that? And he named the name of that bike. I said, no. I said, I went with a touring one, electric one, you know, a touring one. But I said, it's still five grand for it. I know. You know? Yeah. And so, and, but those things are amazing. I mean, uh, you know, you, uh, he's, he, they're exactly what he says it is. You know, if you're right down the street, you don't have to have it turned on. It's lightweight. Yeah. You just ride it like a regular bike. And then you turn, then you turn a corner, and all of a sudden you're in this headwind after you're out of breath. Right. And you're like, oh, my God. Well, you can click it on, and the headwind goes away. Yep. Yeah, they That's are. That's what's so fantastic about those bikes. They they are pretty incredible. My neighbor's got a nice big touring bike, and I, he let me ride it the other day, and I'm I'm hooked. Both Lisa and I have talked about it. We're going to take our time, though. Um, when we moved out here, we bought some yeah. really, really expensive bikes, and we bought all wrong for the area. We didn't understand the area yeah. well enough. So I, I'm going to play around. We, we've got several rental companies around here now with bikes because we have so many trails. So we're, ju- we're going to rent some play around with different styles and take our time, yeah. but, but we're going to buy some. We, we live in a beautiful, beautiful place to take advantage of. Um, part of the problem here, we have a trail, a beautiful, beautiful trail that starts in Portland and goes, it comes out past Cascade Locks now where we live. It comes right through town. So that's 40 some miles. They're almost finished with the next section all the way to Hood River, which is another 20 miles. That'll put it at 60 some miles. And they're going all the way out to the Dells, which puts it at almost 90. Well, here's the thing. If I leave my house in a regular bike, how far can I go in a day? And I have to turn around and come back and I keep seeing the same stuff over and over. But with an electric bike, I could get a yeah. lot farther in either direction. Well, um, to give you an example, we, we bought, you know, a home, I think I told you last year in Mesa, Arizona. And Mesa, Arizona is, is about 80% bike friendly. Every street, yeah. every single street has got bike on both sides. That's Portland. Too. And, and, uh, and, uh, when I bought this bike, I rode that thing, let's see, this summer, I guess I bought it about February. We stayed until May 1st, and I put over 500 miles on that thing. Wow. I, I put some saddlebags on it. I literally ride it everywhere. I, I didn't drive my pickup for three weeks. I went to the grocery store in it. I, I mean, I'd be 20 miles away in the thing. I, they're fantastic. And your thing is, you're never out of breath with it. But when you get off of that thing, you you just about fall to the ground. Your legs are so wild, <laughs> and your back and yeah. your arms and everything. Yeah, and yet you were never out of breath. I it, it really you is know? a, a, so. a it, it's a very cool technology. It's it's one of the other reasons I've been excited about electric. The the tools, the yard equipment, the bikes now are just crazy. Uh, right. I I actually saw one finally i knew they were available they're almost like eight thousand dollars i think but i saw one on the river a foil so we talk about wing foiling there's kite boarding you can either get on a board and use a kite you can get on a foil and use a wing you don't need a big kite but i saw a guy on a fully electric foil 
He has nothing. He just stands on top of the foil and he's got a little remote control in his hand. And this thing's got an electric motor on the foil way underneath and it's self-propelled. And he's just zipping around the river going wherever he wants on this thing. Yeah. Well, the electric bike, I say never out of breath. You, you, you just purposely say, well, I'm going to click it off and ride it without it. And, and you go a mile and you're like, Oh, God, I'm, you know, you, you get kind of winded and then you just turn it on and it goes away. So it's kind of like, you know, running a hundred yard dash and then stopping. Yeah. Yeah, you know, no, I. That's what's so nice about them. Yeah, yeah, I, we're like I said, we're we're you're in, not, we're in not the just, market. We probably won't buy anything till fall. I'll probably spend all summer just renting them yeah. when we've got time and playing around and seeing which trails yeah. we really enjoy and what we like doing. And then, and honestly, the technology's changing so fast on those things. I I don't want to buy yet. I mean, new models are coming out all the time. New all companies right. are forming. So we're we're just going to take our time on that one and and buy something really nice um, because we will use yeah. it a lot out here. We have a beautiful place to do it. Uh, I had another thought. Well, oh, I know what okay. it was. Um, we're we're going to have to wrap this up here in a little bit too. We've got about ten minutes left. Let me check on calls. Okay. I've got one more, so I've got time. Um, I I kind of knew the. Um, the relationship with uh, Dr. Wilson had changed after we'd been in Vegas long enough. And we were eating like every meal together. We were going to sessions together. We were hanging out. Um, we were at uh, we we're at one of the last dinners. We were almost done. And we had gone to this Mexican restaurant that just everybody raves about. And it really, really was really good food. But we walked in and Jack and I were the first ones there. We were waiting on the rest of the party. So we walked over to the bar and he ordered some crazy high-end tequila and I wasn't going to drink. And I thought, ah, you know what? It's kind of like a vacation. So I got a glass of Chardonnay. I like Chardonnay. So we're standing there. Jack starts talking yeah. to this guy next to him. And the guy asks Jack what he does. And he's, Jack's telling him the whole story. And then the guy says, what are you guys drinking? I think he was going to buy us around or something. And, and Jack's like, well, you know, I've, it's a special night. So I got a really expensive tequila. And, and, this guy next to me, I'm almost embarrassed that he's standing next to me. He's got some damn lady drink. I'm like, what the hell are you yeah. talking about? It's a Chardonnay. And he's like, yeah, a Chardonnay. Need I say more? Yeah, we had yeah. a good time, though. It was a lot of fun. You know, you know, real quick, when I was out there, I, I bought one uh, from, a, I met a fellow by the name of P.J. Jones. It's Arnelli Jones's son. And he He's a Baja racer, and he's Polaris is four, four, four by fours. Oh yeah! And so I, I bought one that he built, and I, and I go with him on rides, and I was telling him about it, and took pictures with him, and we go on these uh, three, four day rides, goes a thousand miles out in the desert, and uh, I was telling him, I said, man, I said, you know, you're sixty, seventy mile an hour on these straightaways over these humps and airborne and all this stuff, you know, it's kind of like a race. Robbie yeah. Gordon was there with us, and. and and uh, I said, but man, you get wore out. I said, he can't believe how sore you are after you're in that thing, you know. He goes, it doesn't matter. It's exercise. You're out in, you're out in the elements. That's what life's about. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Just keep on doing it. And I was surprised he said that, you know. That, yeah. And then, so. then because we're males, it must be a testosterone thing. We need to add some form of yeah. power. You know, we either need big internal combustion right. engines or we need wings and wind right. and we, we need something yeah. to, we, we need to feel those G forces, right? 
Right, right. Oh yeah, yeah. If you want to, if you want to have some fun, something that'll go from zero to eighty-five mile an hour in about four seconds. Get <laughs> exactly. one of those things. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My yeah. my 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 first but, uh, bad experience with a kite. I went from zero to about sixty miles an hour about a half a second. It was the most G forces I've ever experienced. Yeah. And and I've done the <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I've done the the astronaut trainers at um, at NASA in um, oh have you yeah in Florida I've done not yeah. the full program but yeah. I've been through several of the 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 machines they use to simulate G forces and all that I've been through most of those I pulled more G forces with that kite yeah. than anything else I've ever done. I'll be darn. Yeah, I used to have that little pit special airplane did those aerobatics, and it was rated at 9G. And, Whoa. And, that's so, a lot. I'm regular to that. Jeez. In that thing. Oh, man. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. We used to dogfight in them all the time. And, you know, there'd be three or four of us, and we'd start dogfighting in them. We had these laser things on them so we could, nice. you know, chase yeah. each other around the sky. So Play, play Red that was Bear. my younger years when I could handle it. That's right. Yeah, well, that's what we did. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. All right, well, Mike. Look- yeah, we got to run. We have time for one more call, so I think I'm going to suspend the phone lines here. And looks like Brandy gets the final word today. Welcome. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, so I, I wanted to defend your call, your AI subject last Wednesday, I believe it was, um, and I think I called Thursday, but they ran out of time. I was thinking of something that you in your original opening, not not what you're doing today with the beautiful Fockers, but um, you used the word exploit, and you even said it when you were saying that you wanted to learn AI to, ex- I, I would use the word exploit, it's, um, it's, uh, it's benefits. Yep. Couldn't you say that just about with your entire show, that you are, you're, you're learning things and you're taking them and you're making them your own? And I think... That's what this show is learning. And then we take what we get from here and we then we apply it to our lives. Isn't that exploiting? It is. And and we use most people think of exploiting as a negative word. They have a negative connotation to the word exploit. This actually came from Larry Winget. And it was in my recorded open. I didn't say it every day, but it was in the recorded open of the show. And I I stole the line from Larry Winget. I I thought it was one of the best quotes I've ever seen. And I've paraphrased it a little bit, but basically it is, if you want to be successful and happy in life, you should discover your uniqueness and then exploit that uniqueness in the service of others. So my show is really built on that premise. My uniqueness, I believe, is my ability to consume, understand, and simplify complicated topics with lots of data. That's my uniqueness. That's like yeah. my superpower. I think that's the word we're using today. That That's my superpower. It's something I'm really good at. I'm really good at taking a lot of data, consuming all of that data, understanding it, figuring it out, and then helping other people understand it without having to go through all that data. So that that's my show. That right. And like you said, it, it's almost like every day that it, it is. That's the design. I discovered my uniqueness. And I use I, I use and exploit that uniqueness to serve others. Right. 
I kind of think maybe from time to time you should remind the call, the listeners. Yeah, that's what the I, show's about. I, I may that, put that, that back that into title. Actually, you're recording. The repetition of it stuck. That word "exploit" stuck in my head, and it's like this is a way to defend what you do. If you're interested in AI, fantastic. You're going to teach me about it, and I'm. You know, the callers will teach more to you. So it's back and forth. So here's my latest idea around AI. Since you brought up AI, and I said we will talk about AI on every single segment of the show because it's going to have an impact on every segment of the show. So. What if I did this? And I think I could pull this off. I'm working with a bunch of different AI tools and I'm taking courses right now. I think I might be able to pull this off. I'm thinking about doing a segment. I have to be careful adding too many shows for me right now. Uh, I just, I got my garden and cooking show. I really want to get ramped up, but I got to watch my time. But if I were to do a show about AI, here's how I would design it. And I think I could pull it off. I would create a co-host that was just an AI chat bot and the co-host and I would teach people about Ooh. AI. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> How cool. I think I could pull that off. Lauren, what do you think about that? I think you could too. <laughs> it is so over my head that... <laughs> It sounds amazing and absolutely crazy at the same time. <laughs> I could, I could take, I'm pretty sure I can take the AI tools that are available right now and there's new tools coming out constantly. And I could take probably about a week, would probably take me about 30 hours, and I would program that chat bot to to focus on simplifying and explaining AI to the masses. And then I would just make that chat about my co-host and I would just talk to it and ask it yeah. questions and it would explain AI. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I know. That's that's what I've been spending my time on. It's probably why I'm sleeping three hours at a time, two shifts a day lately. Yeah. That's all I had, Kevin. I just wanted to remind you something that I have remembered from many, many sh listings to your show. Thank you. I, I, I do think I may, you know, I, I've added the new Good Morning Fokker routine. I kind of like that one. I've kept the, you know, welcome to my world. I like that. I think I do need to work in the, uh, that line about discover your uniqueness and exploit it in the service of others. I mean, that that's really... You know, there, there are, uh, I guess that's my mission statement. I mean, that's the easiest way to say it. That, that, that is my mission statement. It's what I get up and think about every day. How do I take my strengths, my uniqueness, what I'm really good at, how do I exploit that and serve others with that? So uh, I should work that back into the open again. There you go. You know, I kind of forgot about it because we recorded it and it was just always there. But I, I kind of like doing a... a live open. I mean, today I actually was the first time in a long, long time I started the show with the recorded open and then went into my live open. So we're, we're still working yeah. out all of that technology in our broadcast app. So we'll see. But uh, one way or another, I, I should work that in. Uh, what else do we have going on today? Anything we want to close with? I can't believe it's 11 o'clock already. I know. It actually flew by today. Um, just reminding people to 
join on Twitter today. 30 minutes. I know we're only 30 minutes away. Um, So Mm -hmm. I need to go because I need some time to get ready and get set up. And uh, I thought about since today was a health day, I'm going to start with myths, but I thought we might end up on gardening and canning and that I thought about even going outside, but I'm looking outside. It's too windy. I just can't find a microphone setup that will work in our wind out here. Oh, oh yeah. If it's that windy there, yeah, that's the, difficult. The only thing that can handle it, and it doesn't handle it perfectly, but it would be acceptable, is a, a really big broadcast headset like they use uh, for outdoor sports. The big sports announcers, when you see them right oh. on the side and they, that mic looks really big in front of their face, that's just a really big filter. That would work. The problem is I can't, there's just no way to use that with my phone. There are none on the market that you can make with work with your phone at all. What about, uh, what do the weather guys use? Same kind of stuff. They're, they're really specialized broadcast headsets with crazy powerful noise canceling, but I would have to drag a bunch Mm. of equipment around with me. I'd have to have a mixer. And so, uh, what may happen on our, uh, uh, we're working on another technique for our garden videos where we just go out and shoot the film and then I narrate them after oh, the fact. Okay. So we just go film with no sound yeah. or we film with the sound. And then I just, when I put it in my editor, I just eliminate the audio track completely. And then I just narrate the video as it's happening. So that's probably what we'll end up doing with that show. I, I need to get that show up and running, though, because I've got really cool stuff going on in the garden right now. I want to be showing people the garlic scapes, and I'm already starting to ferment stuff. I've got, uh, did you, I know we've talked about this, but I can't remember. Did you ever try the cherry tomato recipe, the fermented cherry tomatoes? No, I haven't tried that one. Oh, you have got to try this. I'm, I'm going to talk about this today. In fact, I may put the recipe in. Um, up at the top so everybody can see it. I'll just, it's so damn simple. Anybody who hasn't fermented and wants to, this is the recipe you should do first. It's almost foolproof. It only takes two days to ferment and the taste is incredible. So here's what it is. Use cherry or grape tomatoes, a regular brine, you know, two tablespoons salt, quart of water, uh, one and a half tablespoons, whatever. It's not that critical. And then all you do, put the brine in the jar, put all your stuff in the jar, pour the brine over it. But it's cherry tomatoes, smashed garlic, and fresh basil leaves. And in two days, you know what a caprese salad is, right? Yeah, of course. This, this, if you take one of these cherry tomatoes and pop it in your mouth, just the tomato, you would swear it was the best caprese salad you ever had. I love that. <laughs> it's incredible. It's so good. And it only takes about 48 hours. At 72, it's even better. But oh. after about a week, the tomatoes are getting too soft. They do, The tomatoes do not hold up well to this. So this isn't a long, you know, something you're going to stick in your refrigerator for a couple months and then go back to your tomatoes will be yeah. mush. Although I may play around with taking, letting them sit in there for about a month and then blending it and see what I get. It might be fun, um, but this is a very, very quick ferment. And I'll tell you, if you make a pint of these, they're not going to last seven days anyway. You'll eat them in one sitting. Wow. You got to yeah, try I mean, that one. A pint, it seems, 
but that could be like a whole meal the way you're describing it. <laughs> well, I mean, really all you, you could eat the garlic and the basil out of there. I mean, I love fermented garlic. I'll eat just whole cloves of fermented garlic. But I mean, you're really only eating a handful of cherry tomatoes. Yeah. But if you put like, if you make some steak or something oh, like that, yeah. you basically make uh, a meat. Yeah. The, these tomatoes <laughs> as a side to a steak would be incredible. And, yeah. and then since this little cherry tomato already has all the flavor of a caprese salad, just eat it with a slice of fresh mozzarella. Mm. Now we're Yum, talking. That sounds good. Yeah. yeah. There you go. All right. We're going to wrap this up. So I have time to get ready for spaces. We will. Uh, let's. What's going on tomorrow? Tomorrow's um, kind of a repeat of last week. I, I'm simplifying it a little bit. Tomorrow we'll have an hour of free for all, an hour of rolling toe, and then we'll go to an hour of spaces. We won't be coming back to the live show. We'll go right to spaces. Uh, Friday, uh, we'll have an hour of free-for-all on the app, and then we go right to spaces for trucking, technology, and efficiency. So that's the schedule. I don't believe we have any specials going on right now, no announcements. So we will see you in about 20 minutes on Twitter spaces, or you can just log back into the app at that time, and you'll hear the live stream. So we'll see you then. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy, always. Do the hard work and master the journey.